Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the DeathStoreProds.com comic book podcast. As always, I'm your host, The Dead Manager. Today, we have Birdie. Happy New Year. Yeah, uh, Nico could unfortunately not be joining us uh, this week. He has work. Like some kind of fucking weirdo normie. We won't hold it against him. Well, you won't. For much. <laughs> anyway. We're here. And while the world is about to be set on fire. Yep, four days to the apocalypse, people. We still we still could take that time to, you know, reminisce a bit about the 90s and how some things taken from the 90s actually turn out pretty good. When you pair them up with other things that kind of got big in the 90s, it also turned out pretty good. <laughs> so let's talk about Justice League Power Rangers. Yes, let's, because it's nice to say, ooh, an event book, and not immediately, instead of Dead Man's usual response, oh, an event book. But here's the thing, this, this is a crossover book, not an event book. They're two entirely different separate things. We're treating this as an event, <laughs> but it is not really an event. Yeah, I guess that's true. Is, like, I wouldn't call fucking TMNT Batman an event. I just call that good unless reading. For some, unless for some reason the bat shell armor becomes canon. <laughs> Lois Lane stole that alongside the Hell Knight armor. Anyway. So yes, we have our first issue of the Justice League Power Rangers crossover comic. I believe it's going to be a six issue mini. Five or six. That's what I've heard, I think. Yeah, and so this was this was originally teased a few issues back, back in 2016, in the Boom Studios Power Rangers book. Yeah. And we got our first issue of it, and it is... It's good. It's even sillier than I was expecting, with several very meme-worthy images. But, yeah. um... Yep. <laughs> no, I had a lot of fun with this. Yeah, so it is a fairly standard story, especially especially like in the realm of the Boom Studios thing, in that a plan that one of the villains has turns out incredibly well, and they gain access to the command center. Yeah. Apparently only Boom Studios knows how to write plans where the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers villains succeed. Who knew? <laughs> So yeah, uh, Lord Zed had a plan where he uh, put in a like put out a fake Alpha Five that the well, yeah, uh, he had he abducted the real Alpha when no one was looking and replaced it with an a replica that was essentially just a bomb made out covered in Alpha parts. Yeah, or, brought it back to the command center. It exploded. Yep. Uh, then Zed and the putties rushed in, and a teleporter mishap. Uh, caused Zack, and I think Zed? Yeah, Zack and Zed. To get bamfed over to the DC Universe, where he runs into Batman. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, for it, they separate during the teleportation, so they don't know where the, each other are. 
and Zack isn't immediately like, oh, I'm in a universe of superheroes. I need to figure out what's up. He's just like, I need to figure out what's going on. And then a guy in a bat costume and a giant and a giant um, car, car tank says, put car tank says, put that weapon down. And he's like, huh, I guess Zed's getting better at making more humanoid villains. And then, yeah, basically and- his, his basic reaction. And then a fight starts and apparently as good of a fighter as Batman is, he can't fight um, six teenagers with attitude who are not only trained in martial arts, but also physically enhanced. Yeah. And that, that makes sense. Yeah. As much sense as this fucking story can make. Yeah. I mean, of the of the ridiculous images that I might have to question at some point, that's one of the least questionable. More questionable is how big is the Terrazord? Uh, it's, it's really big. It it, yeah, is, so, it it takes up the entire chest of a giant ass robot. So yeah, um, if you're on Facebook at all, you've probably seen this image memed if you look at comic book stuff at all, but. After the initial fight with uh, Batman and the Rangers not going very well, Batman calls the Flash for help. And Batman's trying to escape to find out what's going on. And Kimberly and the other Rangers decide we might need this guy for something. So they use the Terrazord to kidnap the Batmobile. Yeah, you know. As you do. uh, to which Flash then sends Cyborg a message saying, The Batmobile's been abducted by a pink flying dino robot. <laughs> no, not even Batmobile. It's a Batman's been taken by yeah. a flying pink dinosaur robot, and it is it is a it is an image, my friends. Yeah, with the with the Terrazord catching the Batmobile like a fish. <laughs> yeah, and the thing the thing I'm really looking forward to is when the Rangers do their full it's morphing time thing in front of the Justice League. Yeah. Because of the there are many similarities between Power Rangers and com and superhero comics. Yeah. Well, I mean, um the best way I've heard power like what what Western audiences consider Power Rangers described, and I think it's it, it, there is a distinct difference between Power Rangers and Super Sentai, is that what airs on Western TV is an attempt to take a very, very, very Japanese idea and transplant it onto more traditional American superhero comic styles. Yeah. So there are similarities, which could lead to this crossover being hilarious, but it's the differences that are probably going to make for most of the hilarity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there are many similarities between, you know, comics and Power Rangers. Um, having the... Having the entire team name off their animal in a sequence that is used to pad out running times, not really a thing that translates well. Nope. So and, I'm so uh, I'm just going to assume that there's so gonna far be... they haven't so far they haven't done that. Like they've just said it's morphing time, and this you actually see the morph take place outside without the sequence. Yeah, but I assume at some point it's going to happen. Also, I think Batman might be a little concerned if the Megazord shows up. <laughs> a little bit, just just a tiny bit. <laughs> Oh god, I I like liking comics, man. Oh yeah, me too. It's something we so rarely get to do nowadays. Yeah, you in particular. 
I tend to avoid the shit that makes me super depressed for the most part. But um, <laughs> most of the shit that makes me super depressed is the fucking biggest events. So I have to follow those in order to properly talk about them. Yeah. Well, I'm just glad you wrote off a clone conspiracy. <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's not that's... fucking important. It's the goddamn clone <laughs> saga, dude. <laughs> oh, man. But people still seem to like it for some reason. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck them and their fucking but, party city jackal mask. Which is really Ben Riley. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. God fucking shit. Fuck. Oh, did I spoil that for you? <laughs> Wasn't he dead? Yes. <laughs> God damn it, Ben. <laughs> Uh, just stay dead. Bring back the clones we actually want to see. Fucking Kane as the Scarlet Spider was great, but then he got fucking fucked off into the ether, and now we get your retarded ass back. Uh, Let me guess, you're the real Peter Parker, and fucking the one who was porking Cindy Moon last year was you? Oh my god, and you haven't seen, uh, if you didn't know Ben Riley was back, you haven't seen his uh, Assassin's Creed Spider-Man costume yet either. <laughs> I knew that he was getting a new series. I didn't look into it because I don't give a fuck. No, I understand that. But <laughs> Oh god. But anyway, talk about something that we were enjoying. Um so this I, this is not Kyle Higgins. I kind of thought it was because it kind of feels like the way Kyle Higgins writes the Rangers. But uh Tom Taylor seems to get the Rangers just as well, but more importantly, the art. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't think it's not it's not um the guy who does the Kyle Higgins series art, but it's pretty damn good regardless. I think they kind of they're going for something sort of in between what we associate with uh the better DC comics books and the way Power Rangers has been drawn in the most recent Boom Studios book. Yeah, it has been doing a it is real good. Yep, it manages to merge these two universes together incredibly well. Which is always one of the worries when uh, it's always one of the worries when you do when you do like one of these crossover things. It's like having the things not really mesh well. Like whenever they do like a fucking Green Lantern core and like say Star Trek or something. Pretty much any time they cross over superheroes with Star Trek, those always look real fucking weird. But with this, because again, they are fairly close. Things all managed to look real good. And one thing that is looking like it's going to be is that this is going to be a fairly Zack-centric story. Yeah, and I don't mind that because if I have a problem with the Kyle Higgins Power Rangers book, it's kind of gypped, uh, so far at least, aside from the background issue, it's kind of gypped uh, some of the lesser Rangers like Zack and Billy. Yeah, they get like moments here and there and... Like, Zach has got, Zach's got the most, like, moments. Yeah. Like, for example, I did not know he was second in command of the team. Yeah, but it makes sense to me, because, like... Yeah, it does. Like, he and Jason are kind of, of the five of them, the tightest. Yeah, they're the tightest. Uh, Billy is technically intelligent, but not doesn't have the charisma to really lead. And while... Kimberly and Trini probably could. Trini's too zen, and Kimberly is not really into that shit. 
Yeah, so just kind of <laughs> Jason ends up leader de facto, and then Zach's like, eh, fuck it, I'll tag along. Yeah. You're my buddy. But yeah, so it was uh, Stephen Byrne on art. Yeah, Stephen Byrne and Edward Nunez. They both worked on it, from what I can tell. I think Nunez might have just done the cover. Yeah, looking at uh, credits, uh, the only list, uh, Steve Byrne is artist and colorist. Okay, well, the for interiors. probably lists Edward Nunez, so that's probably covers then. Which is fine, because I think the cover does look a little different from the interiors. Which, again, for Stephen Byrne, fucking awesome, particularly detail of faces. Like, when you read as many comics as I do, as you and I do, you get used to looking for people who are good at drawing like, subtle expressions on faces. And this guy, I don't know what else I've read that he's drawn, but I kind of want to find more because uh, uh, even good artists sometimes struggle with subtlety of expression. I don't think that's a problem for this guy. Just for an example, Mark Bagley Jr. Oh, yeah. Because I just looked up the fucking Scarlet Spider cover. Yeah. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That I'm fu- sorry. It's it's the smile that kills it for me. Yeah, I know, I know. Fuck me. I shouldn't have mentioned it. I'm sorry. I'm spoiling what's supposed to be one of the more fun parts of this episode. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, uh, we can definitely recommend this, can't we? Wholeheartedly. We probably were going to recommend it no matter what, because it's fucking Power Rangers. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping, um, based on the issue covers I'm seeing, that the covers for the series are not lying. Because from the looks of things, I don't know if, the, if they're in it or not, but from the looks of it, it's the Justice League versus the Megazord. That would be cool. Yes, it would. Yeah, so looking at uh, Stephen Byrne, uh, the only real thing uh, he's done he's done some work on a uh, Doctor Who comics, and he was an he was the artist for a three issue run of the current Green Arrow series. Okay, I'm not sure. I uh, I have I've only read like the first six or seven issues of that, so I'm not sure I could distinguish his art from the normal artist. I think I think he actually starts doing the art the issue after you stopped reading. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, issue. Um, I think he does seven, eight, nine. Okay. So if you get back into it, uh, Green Arrow, real good. All right. Anywho. So, yeah. Power Rangers is great. With Justice League, still pretty damn good. Less good is the book that we kind of held off talking about for a week or an episode because Bertie wanted to talk about it. Uh, the new Hulk. AKA Jennifer Walters. Because that's basically what this series is. It's just Jennifer Walters. Why do they call it Hulk? Because as I, and I pointed this out to you and we discussed this on Facebook or not on Facebook on just in text. Uh, they need, and you said this, they need a character who is the rage-type Hulk, which they can't do with the main Hulk right now because the main Hulk is a, is a wild and crazy guy. 
God, those last few issues of Totally Awesome Hulk have been fucking terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a crossover with a basketball player. Yeah, too many of the uh, I don't know why, but too many of the recent books have felt way too much like we don't actually have a story. We're just using this as an excuse to have characters show up. Yeah, that sounds about right. And that's not good. <laughs> kind of like, for example, the new Ghost Rider book. Yeah. That, fuck. Uh, okay, so... When I heard about this book... I mad. got revved up. I got revved up to be angry. Because one... It's a it's it's a it's a fallout of Civil War two book so minus points right there, but also it kind of defeats the purpose of what She Hulk's character has been since the late eighties, where she got over the whole rage control issues of the character and was just she occasionally had problems related to other emotions and some and things going wrong with her powers but not the if i get you don't like me when i'm angry thing which you associate with the regular hulk yeah like like jennifer walters and the hulk and the she hulk for the longest time have basically been the same character yeah i mean in dan slot's book they discuss the idea that she treats the she hulk state kind of like a a drug trance where she she feels powerful, she feels secure, she feels in control, and she's not necessarily thinking like herself because she's constantly on a uh, consequence-free drug high. Which, there's elements of that to discuss. Yeah, I can see that, but after a certain point, she just kind of Yeah, became. and but, like, most, of the, most of the books don't discuss that at all, so it's not really worth mentioning. So this book... Uh, so yeah, I wanted shit. to hate it. I wanted to hate this, but for its stupid, despite its stupid premise, the writing is good enough to justify it somewhat. Okay, yes. Okay, I was actually a bit worried there because I thought we were going to have like this kind of thing of like, oh, you were like, oh, fuck this book. And I was like, it's actually pretty good. It's not, I don't, I, I'm not sure if I can say it's good yet because it's just set up. But I, like writing wise, it's not okay. Like, it's like, not as bad as I was expecting. Like writing wise like, and character wise stuff, I thought retarded shit about it aside. Like it, it, it's um, and I and this is another thing I said to you in Messenger that this is something that has allowed Marvel not to completely fail the last couple of years, where despite their almost DC level stupid decisions editorially. They have good enough writers working for them that they've been able to buoy it up somewhat, but I think they might be stretching that thin. Yeah. So basically, this book picks up like, a week or two after, or like some period of time after the events of Civil War, and Jennifer is getting back to work after having had her shit kicked in completely by Thanos. And because of... and. Her the, the the new uh law firm she's working at is kind of surprised that she's looking like Jennifer Walters and not She Hulk. 
And she's doing all these, like, calm down, calm down, talk like this things, calming measures, don't think about what happened to you. And what basically this means is that she's dealing, this is a, this is a person dealing with a traumatic event, and technically speaking, two uh, traumatic events where she's dealing with dueling emotions. Yeah. Because on the one hand, she loves being She-Hulk, but she now associates She-Hulk with being weak and powerless because of what Thanos did to her. And on the other hand, uh, Clint uh, uh, Clint Barton, who even, uh, going back all the way to her initial time in the Avengers, was always a close friend and occasionally romantic interest, and she and he shot her cousin in the face. As you do. So she's dealing with a combination of love and hate and fear and need to express strength. And because of that, she's constantly walking around like a time bomb, afraid that she's going to go off on someone because she doesn't know who or what will come out. Yeah. And yeah, that's a perfectly good reason to tell a story like this. As much as I don't like that this still feels like stupid editorial mandate. <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. But it is the kind of best kind of stupid editorial mandate you can get in that it is like a somewhat compelling story with a character that you like written well. Yeah. And like, it, it's also it's really weird. Like there is one moment that the more I think about it, the more I kind of like okay. it's a, uh, it's at the beginning. It's near the beginning of the book where, where we're going through like Jennifer, Jennifer's internal monologue. She's listening to like her fucking, you know, soothing mantra tapes on her on her laptop and as she's going to leave her work she like walks up to like the mirror just like walks up to you know the mirror thing like the little hall tree fucking closet fucking whatever thing they call it that's next to the door and just, and just looks at it and it's like a ah, stupid fucking mirror and you see that it's like three feet up where from her where her head actually is yeah because, yeah and I, I that's actually a nice detail i didn't pick up on that but i do like that kind of thing and yeah, but when I, when I first read it, I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I thought about it more, and I was like, oh, that's why. Yeah, and I and actually it makes sense, considering a lot of people point out, you know, you're not green. Is something wrong? And she doesn't want to talk about that. Yeah. And that's like the whole point of the book. And that that she, She-Hulk for her used to be an empowerment fantasy. Now it just reminds her of when she felt the most helpless and broken. So I like that as a concept. I like the writing for her, and I, this is one of the better excuses because, like, this is not like, um, and I guess Nico's not here, so he can't give me shit for saying this. This is not like Tom King uh, uh, narration where the narration seems pointless and just bitch. You hold up. See. <laughs> I'm a fan of Tom King too, motherfucker. Yeah, but I'm talking about Tom King vi- the Vision series. I, I like other Tom King books. again. I am a fan of Vision Tom King. Okay. (laughs) Nico and I, whenever you're not here, Nico and I fucking gush about that book. Okay. Well, we're not anymore because it's over. Yeah. There's lots of good things to like about that book. It's just I think that Tom King needs to rein in his narration tendencies. But, um... Yeah, no, the, uh, all of the internal monologue in this, it's really well written. It gives you a sense of character where her headspace is at. And it's that wonderful sense of buildup to where you know something has to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. 
And alongside all of the personal character stuff with Jennifer, there's also whatever the fuck is going on with uh, the spider lady uh, being tenant, being evicted from her apartment by a shitty landlord who may or may not be talking to dark ones. And I think she's an inhuman? Maybe. I'm not sure. She just looked like a spider person to me. And not like a Spider-Man spider person, but like closer to man spider type spider person. It it's just seems like that's it seems like that's where they're going with this. I for whatever yeah. reason, that is where my headspace goes with this. Just I see her as like, oh and human. Yeah. But hey, I mean I I like this idea as much as I Okay, the only other th- the the only critique I can really give is the art's kind of flat like with expression, particularly with with people, like I don't know who this art. I I think I know who this artist is. Is this the person who did um, what's that book uh with the guy who falls in love with an android from Image, uh, Alex and Ada? Yeah. Okay, is this I, not the same person? Right. Let me check. So yeah, this is a uh, Nico Leon. Nico Leon. Here, pronounce that. Uh, there it is not. Okay, it kind of reminds me of that. But, uh, this um, this person did uh, I bl- looks like an issue of well a couple issues of Miss Marvel, a couple issues of Guardians three thousand, and a couple issues of the new Spider Man book, the Miles Morales one, not the not any of the other nine Spider Man books. Okay, but yeah, um, this person. I don't know. The proportions on faces are always a little weird in this book. And I know it's going somewhere between like the super deformed style from like the uh Charles Soule She-Hulk book and like a more expressive comic book style. Uh-huh. And sometimes it works, but particularly a lot of close-ups of Jennifer's face just look a little off. And there's because because of this is a very in like internal monologue type book there's a lot of close-ups of her face and that gets a little distracting when that's yeah Uh and also who is that random person who that random therapist is like hey i want to be your therapist i know who you are and what happened to you i don't know how i found out where you live unless i stalked you but uh she's there just yeah. that's kind of it. She's there yeah. to trigger. She's there to trigger Jen's near breakdown, so we can see what kind of state she's in. Yeah, but that's kind of like um, when you think about NPCs and like uh, uh, Japanese RPGs. It's like you know, I had to get all kinds of special abilities and items to get out here. How did you get here? Yeah, but. It's it's stupid, is what it is. Yeah, it's like the the one. If that's like the one writing decision, I don't quite get. Fucking it, it, Florida it, it, mayor is. Uh, yeah, yeah. She's there as a plot device. Yeah, but everything else is based in character stuff, and like you and like you and Nico have been saying good side books have come out of Civil War 2 and I guess this is good for that reason even if Civil War 2 felt 
it, the more and more I hear about it, the more it seems completely fucking unnecessary and stupid. It wholly is. But yeah, no, I'll prob- I'm probably going to read another issue or two of this book just to see if it goes somewhere that I want to. Because, I mean, I've always Je- Je- Jennifer Walters has always been one of my favorite characters in general in comics. Like her and, obviously her and, until recently, Carol Danvers were my favorite female Marvel characters. But uh, I'm curious to see where this is going. I haven't read the new Captain Marvel book where she's apparently in therapy because she's apparently realized she's a bitch. (laughs) I did not know that was a thing. I have decided to not read any more Captain Marvel books. I'll read the first issue of that one just to see what it's like, but I probably will not be keeping up with it. Which is a shame because... The entire Kelly Sue DeConnick run of Captain Marvel was fucking amazing. But It was uh, real good! And then Civil War happened! Yeah. Well, wasn't that also true for uh, whatever that team was she was working with, with, like, the Blue Marvel and stuff? Or Ultimates, yes. Was, yeah. Where that was good, and then Civil War Two happened? Yeah, from what I've heard from, like, Nico, uh, the new Ultimates is about them trying to vet some of uh, that kid's visions. Yeah. Which, you know, is something they should have done from the fucking beginning. Which would have basically stopped the Civil War from happening. Yep. But didn't they also, from what I heard about the ending of Civil War 2, basically pull what I talked about with, um, what is, uh, Occultic 9? It's like, hey, um, we have questions about how your powers work, poof, out of existence. Basically, yeah. Yeah, it's like, hey, so your powers are getting weird. What are they doing? And then it's like, it's like, come, child, you now joined the, you now joined the Eternals. <sighs> and then he ascends, forgetting some visions of the future. Right. It ends like Civil War One ended, flatly with the with the people who did bad things and are recognized for doing bad things get no punishment but instead get rewarded and everybody else just kind of fucks off back their lives yep mazeltov all right wonderful <sighs> so yeah yeah Speaking of Hawkeye, you mentioned earlier, I read the first three issues of Occupy Avengers. Yeah, I heard about that book. Um, Not sure how I feel about that. That feels like kind of trying to course correct. I'm aware of how I feel about that in that I'm not reading any more issues of Occupy Avengers. That bad? I just do not care. Which is a shame, because I love Clint Barton. Yeah, I do too. So. A lot of characters got fucked over by Civil War 2. So yeah, Clint Barton, he killed Bruce Banner, longtime friend. And he was put on trial for it and deemed, ruled, not guilty. He is a free man. but But he still feels shit about it. So he is now walking around the country... Presumably Superman style, trying to right wrongs. Unless the problem is over there. Because over there has to deal with their own problems. That will never not be stupid. Nope. 
is right up there with I'll kill you to death and gotta save Martha for dumb Superman moments. So yeah, uh, Clint is just kind of walking around doing whatever. He goes to a diner in the South, I'm assuming. Tries just, you know, eating, drinking, whatever. And then a couple cops show up. Uh, the sheriff and the local deputy, Red Wolf. Who some of you all out there might remember from the from the uh, Secret Wars tie-in book. Uh, he's one of the characters who survived Secret Wars and then got bamfed over into the main timeline. And now he's just kind of hanging out here, doing cop stuff. I read a couple issues of his solo series. I understand why he no longer has a solo series. Oh, Red Wolf? Yeah, I don't think he has one anymore, right? Uh, I know. He, I don't know if it was canceled or if it was just put on hiatus. I remember people having problems with it. <laughs> It was, I just, I, kind of, I found it largely boring. I remember seeing, I, from what I saw of it, the art didn't look particularly good in that book either. Yeah, the art was, the art wasn't great, but, and it really, it's really a shame, like, the idea of fucking mystic native sheriff being bamfed into modern day times. I don't hate that idea. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so he's there. They solve a fucking mystery of tainted water supply for the town. And then for no reason, Red Wolf's like, hey, I'm going to travel the country with you now. Sure. And so they start going around, righting wrongs and what have you. Their first stop is a lady who wants to jump Red Wolf's bones so hard, it's not even funny. No matter how hard they try to make it funny. (sighs) This book tries to have the wit of previous Hawkeye books. I'm guessing it doesn't. It tries way too hard. It is... It tries to it tries to get off like this. It tries to get off the personality of Hawkeye, but it always but it like overcorrects for it and just tries to make it too in in the Matt Fraction Hawkeye books. Hawkeye in, in like the Jeff Lemire Hawkeye book. Hawkeye was fun. You're like yeah, he understood when the situation got serious or whatever, but he was still able to have a fun personality about him, and he seemed like he'd be an all right guy to hang out with. This guy just just seems annoying. That's unfortunate. Like, like the third issue starts with him getting the shit bean out of him by somebody who hates him for some reason. I have no idea their backstory, their relationship, or anything. I have no idea. I have no idea who the, who this guy even is. And I completely understand why he's beating the shit out of Clint Barton. And also, Red Wolf is just there. Just whatever. Not reading any more of this. This is just boring. That's unfortunate. It really is. Can't recover. It's difficult to recover from boring because usually that's an indication of no clear direction on the part of the writers. Oh, yeah. There is no plot to this fucking thing. 
like with a title like Occupy Avengers. Like the, the, like the initial book, like the initial cover, the first issue is Occupy Avengers as big tag, take back justice. And then it is a fucking Hawkeye standing with his bow and arrow surrounded by, you know, average Joes. A la that Superman cover one time. And looking at this, I assumed that it would be almost like a callback to that fucking Matt Fraction book. Because that book was just kind of him dealing with local problems at the fucking apartment complex he owned. It was him, you know, alongside the average person doing, like, trying to solve, like, fucking street-level crime or whatever. Or just fucking hanging out with his dog. And then it's, oh no, I'm going to walk across the country and try to solve crimes as I go, like the littlest hobo with a bow and arrow and a native sidekick. Sounds like a Marvel Comics equivalent of a bad TV show from the 70s. Fuck, even the the internal cover, the interior cover is actually kind of like that. Yeah, which I maybe that's we're just trying to maybe there's some weird 70s thing going on now. I thought we were going into the 90s, but like I just heard wrong company, but Warner Brothers, uh, the people behind DC just announced a chips movie. Yeah. With Michael Pena and Dak Shepard. Y'all remember Dak Shepard? Isn't he the guy we're all mad at because we want Kristen Bell to think to do better? Maybe. They're married. I don't think a lot about Dak Shepard or Kristen Bell's personal life. Eh. It's, it's just Kristen Bell is one of those actresses who I think everybody likes, but feels like she got fucked over by just opportunity. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, she yeah. So she is married to Dak Shepard, who I have not thought about since the mid two thousands. But now, now he's in fucking chips. And yep. Oh fuck. oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. He's doing a fucking CG Scooby-Doo movie. Uh, of course he is. It's called Scoob. And Scoob is uh, apparently an acronym. What, for like the... Oh, God, is it like that post-apocalyptic Scooby-Doo comic you talked about at one, one time? Who knows? It is intended to lead into a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe. Uh, so fuck me, I guess. From what, from what you've told me, the only Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe that's worth discussing is uh, if they ever make... Um, what was that thing? Future Quest. Quest something. Future Quest, if they ever make that a thing. It is a thing. It's eight issues deep. No, I mean, no, I mean, not the book. I mean, like, if they make it a TV show or a movie. If it was a movie, Johnny Quest would be fucking 35. His dad would be dead or turn out to be the bad guy. Probably. Fucking his little, his Indian sidekick, and I mean actual Indian, not native. Like, his Indian sidekick will just grow up and just hate all white people and be some fucking, like, college student marching on fucking Capitol Hill or whatever. 
Yeah, probably. We'll talk more about that when we get to the game we came up with. <laughs> Later in the show. <sighs> so, Birdie. Well, um... Haji, that's his fucking name. Yeah, Haji. Okay, I thought you were trying to... I thought you knew the name of that character and you were just calling him that Indian friend because that's what he is, but... Uh, no, I forgot. I, f- I actually forgot okay. his name. Okay. Well, um... And he's more than just the Indian friend. A bit. <laughs> so, um... His voice actor's name is Danny Bravo. Whoa, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Same network. Yeah, yeah, oh, it, yeah, it is. So continuing. <laughs> so, um, I know, I know me getting angry makes, gives you joy. So, while I couldn't get angry at Hulk because it was a decently okay book despite its, uh, stupid setup. Birds of Prey has turned out worse and actually as bad as I might have predicted. Huzzah! So, you remember how I told you the stupid premise at the start of this book? The weird character crisis with Batgirl and Oracle and then someone to see her in Oracle by the Oracle? Yeah. And we were bouncing ideas back and forth as to who the person who stole Oracle's identity could be. They literally went with what I thought must have been the worst possible option. <laughs> Who was that? Oh my god, some guy. <laughs> <laughs> Not some guy. <laughs> yeah, I think his name is Phoenix or something. Maybe, I don't know. But uh, he's a hacker who has followed Barbara Gordon's crime-fighting career since the original Batgirl run and has all this memorabilia, which just raises so much <laughs> shit. Hold on. Oh, God, he's a fat boy. That motherfucker. I have not read the book, so I do not know any of it, any, anything that's happening right now. So, Yeah. Just wait for Birdie to get back, and then we can go. Bu- and then we can go back to talking about it. Yep. I did not read anything for Birds of Prey past that first rebirth issue. Just I, I have not really. I don't have a lot of history with the Birds of Prey. Like. I bought like the my, one of the first comics I ever bought was like the 80th issue of Gail Simone's run, and at that time we didn't really have an easy and efficient way to access all kinds of old comics like we do now. Shout out to the okay. folks at Comicsology. Yeah. Okay. So the this guy Phoenix has been collecting memorabilia from across Barbara Gordon's entire Batgirl career. Yeah. And. Including glasses she used to wear when she was still a librarian before she became Batgirl. And points out, hey, you must have gotten LASIK at some point. I, I like you better when you had the glasses. <sighs> or it's like, hey, uh, was that punk rock thing always your thing, Black Canary? Or is that a recent thing? 
And so I, mm. oh, <laughs> and um, the reason that uh, this guy stole the Oracle identity was essentially to test the birds of prey to see if they were a true superhero team and then say, I want to join you. Fuck and you. if you don't let me join you, I will sell your identities and info to your enemies. Also, look it up. His name's Gus. Okay. Gus Yale. <sighs> and so in the mother of all super... Uh, in the mother of all soap opera twists, the first thing to prove... The, to the, the last test they have to do to prove his trust so that he will give up their blackmail on them is to have Huntress kill her mother, who is a crime boss. Who she was probably, which she was probably going to do anyway, but Batgirl and Black Canary don't want her to do that because no, you're a hero. Yeah, you lifelong career spy. Yeah, that's the other thing. This is the point in the book where the I I, I skipped the previous four issues, and yet I feel like I haven't missed anything. <laughs> But it's the same issue I had with the first book where it is trying so hard to ape what made Gail Simone's Birds of Prey book so good. The dynamic between the previous version of uh, Helena Bertinelli, Bertinelli, um, Dinah Lance, and Barbara Gordon. But these are either not the same character or such radically different versions of those characters. The, the dynamic just doesn't work at all. Yeah, yeah, I get that. They, like... <laughs> Fuck, god damn it. This is all really dumb. Very much so. And the art just seems to keep getting worse. <laughs> it's this weird... It wants to do the soup, the YA super... The YA kind of kawaii design choices from the Brendan Fletcher Batgirl book. You fucking weird. But it, but it also wants to be a little bit more adult than that book ever was. By which I mean, try to act like these are adults and not tweens, thinking that they're in their late twenties. Something that would go along toward helping that idea: giving Batgirl an actual fucking superhero costume. Yeah. And she the even fa- has the this- fact that we are still using this design like it is something to be proud of is ludicrous. Yeah. Well, by the way, uh, this I actually managed to get myself good and angry right before this review, be- before this discussion, because I'd forgotten that Comixology was having a sale on what on twenty five of the best and most essential DC comics reads ever. And the first volume of the Brendan Fletcher Batgirl run is listed alongside V for Vendetta and Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Oh, sweetie. Fuck off. Oh, you fucking actual retarded people. Oh, my God. (sighs) And again, and this is another thing from Comixology that got me good and... Jazz to talk anger about this book. Um, Brendan Fletcher's new motor uh, book, Motor Crush issue, came out a few weeks ago, and the first line of the uh, 
of the sales pitch for that book is from the team, the creative team that brought you the critically acclaimed revamp of Batgirl. I almost punched my screen. <laughs> Just the fact that they're trying so hard to make this a thing. The fact that they they want this so much. And just, like, it felt somewhat dated even when they started doing it, but now that, because, like, it felt like they did this because of Hunger Games. Like, am I wrong about that? Like, that's what they were... No, you're not wrong. Like, it was... That book got revamped at the time when everything was, when everything was starting to get, you know, the YA craze was kind of at its pinnacle. And then fucking immediately fell off a cliff. Yeah. But... Yeah, yeah, totally. I could totally see. They were like, "Hey, we need to get on that fucking divergent train, dog." Yeah. What char- like, what characters do we have that are fucking you know young enough? Oh well, technically, you know, we have this fucking helmet that just kind of is a helmet. We could just kind of put that on anybody. We have you know all kinds of young heroes. What about that Batgirl? People like that Batgirl. Oh, sir, we have like a storyline with her. Fuck that storyline. Gail Simone, get the fuck out of here. Hey, you shit dick. What's your name? Uh, Fletcher. Sir? Great. You're re- you're writing Batgirl. Oh, what? I saw you come in here wearing a Hunger Games t-shirt once. Fuck. (sighs) The Batgirl costume, the new Batgirl costume, is especially terrible when you see her outside of this kind of art. Like, the artist that they managed to get for this new Batgirl design, they've been able to build a world around it that makes this design look not like a heaping pile of dog shit. But anybody who tries to do it outside of that book, any outside of any of these books, like, there was an issue of, like, Superman or something that came out a while back. I think, I think it was before we got the old new Superman. Yeah, it was. It was. It was in like the lead up to like the final fight with Vandal Savage, and they were working on this fucking Antarctic station. We had Superman there. We had uh, Nightwing. We had Red Hood, and then Batgirl shows up, and she looks so fucking out of place. Like Nightwing yep. is in his full costume with his little Domino mask. Red Hood has the fucking helmet on. Superman is Superman, and then fucking Carrie Kelly cosplaying shows up. Please, like, hey, there's no more dignity than that. Fuck but, me, it is just terrible. Yeah, and like some of the books on that essential list, I've I'm not familiar enough with. I think you read them. Uh, I heard good things about the start of the New Fifty Two Flash run yeah. from that book, but I never read that, so I don't know. I know you've talked well about the Aquaman book from that period. Yeah. Also, I'm looking at no. this. I'm looking at the Fifty Essentials graphic novels thing. I'm not seeing any of the books you mentioned. Uh, let me send the list. This might be in Canada. This might might be a difference between, you know, fucking America and Canada, this shit. Yeah, I don't know if, uh, the list I'm looking at yeah. is available to you or not. Uh, yeah, but so it has- 50 essential graphic novels. We have, uh, Killing Joke, uh, the first volume of Bone, the first volume of Lock and Key, uh, Saga, Alan Moore's Run on Swamp Thing, Watchmen. Yeah, uh... Just off the top, there's Neil Gaiman's Sandman, Killing Joke, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, the Mark Mul- the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns book. Uh, I don't know if you can see this in your country or not, but we'll see. 
but yeah, no, it, the presence of um, the Brendan Fletcher Batgirl book along some of the greatest comics ever made, or just oh, really, okay. really good I was looking, comics. I was looking at a different list. Okay. Yeah, I was looking at, I was looking yeah, at 50 was, essential graphic novels, just period. Yeah, like, even fuck, even Injustice Gods Among Us deserves to be on this list more than fucking Batgirl. <laughs> Injustice Gods Among Us is fantastic. That book is great. Yeah, but I'm not sure. It, it's a good, it's a great book, but I'm not sure if it can be mentioned alongside all-time classics like Garth Ennis's Preacher or All-Star Superman. Oh, hell same. no. Yeah. <laughs> but considering what DC has... No, I agree with you. I'm just... <laughs> no, I... I don't get why this one book is what DC is pushing. Like Because like, fuck you, the, that's why. For the most part, with the rebirth, they've actually fixed a lot of the issues they've had with a lot of my the my biggest gripes with the new fifty two. Like they fixed Superman. Oh totally. I actually Super- really Superman's like being Superman now. Um uh, uh Titans is a bit of a mess, but it's getting better. Uh I like some of the... I like a kind of a smattering of the Batman books. It's sort of a mixed bag. Wonder Woman is still great. I like this new direction they've gone with her. It's just this... This is apparently one of those ideas from their New 52. I was like, no, this is still great. We are going to push this. And I don't get why. Because this was an idea Dan DiDio had while high on shrooms one night. And he wants to convince everybody that it's a good idea or he will fire them. So you're, so you're saying it's the monster trucks of DC books? Yes. Dan DiDio is like, hey, fuck you assholes. This book needs to stand alongside Darwin Cook's New Frontier. Yeah. Fuck, fuck you. That. Oh, man. So, yeah. Um, fuck. Did I even need to mention anything else about this Birds of Prey book? Because it's just, it's a ma- it's like all the worst traits of that Brendan Fletcher Batgirl book combined with completely ass-fucking the dynamic of three great female characters in DC's lineup that honestly are not getting shown anywhere else in, like, I, have you seen Huntress at all in any of the other books, or have I missed that? She occasionally appears in Nightwing, usually in flashback. Yeah, I'm not sure that counts. Because because remember, this Helena Bertinelli, this Helena Bertinelli was the head of Spiral. Yeah. So yeah, no. She was there she was there when that weird ass doctor fucking grabbed Nightwing's dick. Yeah. So um no, nothing redeeming about this book at all. If I know I know Nico's all about ratings, so let me let me make this <laughs> right and clear to him. <laughs> One middle finger out of five. Does that make it nice and clear for you? Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> well, actually, if you're using a middle rating finger system, I mean, a middle finger rating system, then I feel like one middle finger out of a potential five middle fingers is actually a fairly high rating. Mm. Yeah. So it's either one out of five or five middle fingers out of five. How's that? I think that works better for the middle finger analogy. Okay. Just, so, just, yeah, just the imagery yeah. of like of like if you have if you have like five signs that say fuck you, you only give one of and you could potentially give them to like fucking five you could potentially give them to one person. You just give one of them to that person that you hate. Yeah, just 
just fuck me. Just even mentioning Brendan Fle- the Brendan Fletcher Batgirl run in the same breath as Viva Vendetta, All Star Superman, or Sandman, I feel dirty. <laughs> yeah, and every day. <laughs> It's this weird thing that started happening to me recently where every time we talk about it now, my fucking head flashes back to, I think, a tweet that was either released by Fletcher or one of the artists saying we just undid something pretty big. And it is. I need to look this up. I need to see if I'm actually remembering this correctly correctly, or if I just fucking hallucinated it. You can keep fucking railing or whatever. I need to. Yeah. Okay. So. There's plenty of other stupid shit in this book, like how they're playing off as a joke, Huntress talking about, huh, I think this guy has a peanut allergy. I guess that's a convenient way to kill him. Ha ha ha. That's super funny. Uh, Considering how much I like Black Canary in the Green Arrow book that's out now, and I... Has that changed at all? Is Black Canary still awesome in the? Oh no, Green yeah, Arrow she's still or? she's still great. She's still out there doing shit. Like uh, Green Arrow yeah. is kind of Green Arrow is being framed by Merlin for a bunch of murders. Okay, and so uh, Black Canary has kind of been like going alongside, like kind of kind of working behind the scenes, trying to help, trying to help Oliver find out what's going on. There, there's yeah, this, there's uh, this kind of there's this kind of dumb, really funny scene where she's like breaking into police headquarters, trying to like find information on her, and the captain's like. I was like, hey, you fucking officer, what's your name? And I'm going to look this up because it's a kind of a really dumb joke. Yeah, it's just, no, it's. Okay, yeah, yeah, so. uh, It's like, like, do you hear me, officer? We're going out to the fucking field to catch this guy. It's like, what's your name again? She goes, "Uh, Officer uh, Canary, sir. Just first thing she could think of. Fuck it, my own name. Screw it. Okay, not, not even so, her actual name, her moniker. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I found it. This is real. This is from Babs Tar, uh, the artist in the book. Uh, so yeah, with issue forty nine of the Neo Batgirl series, uh, it is revealed when fighting against an enemy called the Fugue that the Killing Joke could be a false memory instilled in her by this guy. And when that came out, Babs Tar tweeted an image, tweeted the fucking Tobey Maguire, Peter Parker smirk, and we undid some things. Yeah. Fuck you, bitch. Considering um, Oracle was born out of a, a talented writer saying, no, fuck you, DC. Don't just kill off this character. Let me do something else with her. And this is this just stinks of we're sticking with editorial mandate. Not everything. This is kind of the, this is the fucking opposite of the. I, I know talking about Batgirl and the Birds of Prey has turned into railing against Neo Batgirl again, but um, it's never it, not going to happen. It's like this is the exact opposite of the Hulk book. The writer of that book is not good enough to justify all of the. Hula hoops you have to, all of the acrobatics you have to do to jump through to get to from where Gail Simone had the character to where they have the character. So it's just, you're just seeing all of the little editorial decisions happening on in the comic versus the Hulk book where 
yeah, you see the editorial mandate, but it's well written up that it's not as much of a bother. And the Batgirl and the Birds of Prey books is like, hey, so people like Black Canary, people like some strange people like our Neo Batgirl book. Why don't we pull back Birds of Prey again? People like that book, which, ugh. yeah, and also yeah, just this fucking dumbass thing where. <sighs> God damn it, DC! No. I want to like you again. Uh, apparently, apparently, them un like. I'm looking at this thing, this this page, and by erasing the killing joke, they also erased Oracle. Okay, well that doesn't make any fucking sense because there's a deliberate discussion in the issue I just read where Barbara Gordon is saying, "Am I Barbara Gordon or am I Batgirl?" Or am I Oracle? I'm all of those. Yeah, that's the thing. The fucking these re, these fucking dumbasses. They erased like like we see like in this fucking page where he's going down. We see you know the Joker. We see him with the gun, and we see and then in just a corner we see Barbara Gordon in the wheelchair. Which, based on what I've read about this, implies that that is you know a false memory potentially. <laughs> but. The Oracle would not ha- the Oracle wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the fucking killing joke. And the killing joke is a great story. Yes, there is some misogyny that could be read in it. But fuck God. The fucking Mary Sue yeah. has this goddamn article that came out around the time of that issue's release uh, where the title is, where the fucking is Background number forty nine is a step in the right direction for the killing joke. Uh, okay. Because the writer of this article uh, let me see here, uh Okay, yeah, I'm actually not going to call you out by name. Just, no, don't do that. No, just, just, I just, I mean, I'm going to call out Mary Sue in general because some of their SJ. I don't like the term SJW, but sometimes they make issues where there aren't any, and that annoys the shit out of me. But okay, here's the thing as to why I would argue the new Batgirl book might actually be more misogynist than the old one. The the, than what we know from Killing Joke. Basically, everything that's happened to Barbara Gordon since the Brendan Fletcher revamp has been designed to say she doesn't want to talk about what happened to her. She doesn't want to face her issues. She doesn't want to be tied to anyone. But because of that, she has issues that she either has just erased from continuity so she doesn't have to deal with them or grow as a person. So all they're doing is regressing her, and it's not its not empowering to take away the dark events that help shape you as a person. It just makes you weaker. And that's what I don't... That's why I hate about this version of Batgirl. I, what, was a, what was a strong character is now a strong, independent woman. I don't need no man. She's got that girl power, dog. She's a fucking she. She's she's balancing, you know, a career and school life. Even though she's in her fucking thirties, probably. Yep. And oh my god, boys! Oh my god, the penguin's son is like so hot. Which that's another thing. I I I don't know if this sounds sexist or not to say a woman of her at least late twenties age should not be acting like. She's on a CW show, and not even a good one. 
that's not I, 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 don't, I don't i don't know fuck it that, that sounds it sounds kind of weird to me but fuck it whatever i don't i don't necessarily disagree it's just a person who has gone through what she has gone through like it, but that's she, the she question they're asking like maybe that. it has maybe she, she hasn't gone through it she wasn't fucking like oh god jesus god damned christ that fucking dcu bullshit that fucking happened that made fucking neo batgirl is such horseshit there was a really interesting story that used Gail Simone's run as a fucking jumping platform for what what could happen next. Was this big fucking thing like, oh, fucking girls, women, superheroes, female superheroes out there doing fucking everything, saving the entirety of Gotham from a villain Batman didn't even know existed. Who was also a woman, by the way. His whole big fucking thing. And then Batgirl's like, hey, transgender roommate, I'm going to go have a fucking job with the fucking CIA or whatever. You want to move with me to a new place? Then, next goddamn issue, she's saying, hey, roommate who I developed a really deep relationship with, who uh, invited with me to this new place, fucking leave. I have a different roommate now. She signed me up for a Tinder account. I'm going to fuck somebody tonight. Yeah, fuck I you. I'll, I'll, everything, like, I... <sighs> It's, it's, I feel like I'm coming off like the crazy one trying to explain why this supposedly good version of Batgirl doesn't work. Look, did the killing joke fucking fridge Barbara Gordon? Yes. I'm not arguing against that. It was a weird move for the character, and Alan Moore having said, I want to cripple the bitch, does not help that. Yeah. But a good and, writer. Yeah, Neil Ostrander. Yeah, a good writer took that and said, hey, I can make something good out of this. And made what, to my mind, is still one of the best handicapped superheroes. Yeah, Oracle was... I didn't, I don't have that much experience with Oracle, but from what I did, she was fucking great. Yep. And then you're just like, hey, guess what? That part of this character's life that was a really big defining characteristic of her and helped like really define her as a character? Fuck that. Uh, she's yeah. always been this fucking hippin' and happening look. I'm wearing this fucking bleh. I got this helmet. Like, fuck, even the New 52 version, yeah, it brought her back as Batgirl and took away several Batgirl side characters that I really liked for a while. Uh, even that seemed to acknowledge that there was a lot of strength that Barbara Gordon gained as a character by what happened to her after the killing joke. Oh, hell yeah. And it's not, and it's not trying to take that away from her. The bo- uh, oddly enough, the book after the New 52 took away all that strength. To where she now, I don't even know how to describe her. She's like a hipster. She's a twenty-four-year-old. She she is she is what somebody in their fifties think a twenty-four-year-old is. Yeah. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Just she's a she's a she's a fifty-year-old studio executive's idea of a early twenties woman. She is what she is what the executives think of when they say the word millennial. Is oh they yeah. fucking live they fucking they don't really have friendships they just fucking go from person to person on them fucking phones using that fucking Tinder grinder whatever swipe right for dicks is that right is it right or left I don't know so yeah I uh, I've gone on about this book for too long let's talk about something else <laughs> fuck this book <laughs> okay so Power Man and Iron Fist. 
Is it good? It's all right. Okay. I was afraid it might not survive the Civil War calling. No, actually, that's the thing. It did. It it actually used the Civil War idea and kind of built a story onto it. Okay. Which is more than Civil War did. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Civil War. The storyline for uh, Power Man and Iron Fist in Civil War was that uh, there was this group of roving vigilantes who had access to the software that gave them, that like told them, uh, that revealed to them supervillains who had since gone straight. Or at the very least, stopped being supervillains. And so, like, a warrant would be issued for their arrest or whatever. So then they would go out, fucking beat the shit out of them, and then take them and just throw them back in jail. Uh, the families of those supervillains uh, then contacted Luke, Luke Cage and Danny and said, hey, we want to hire you guys. All of, our fucking relative, all of our fucking family members are disappearing because fucking whatever. And so then they start investigating into it, and they actually kind of recruit some former villains into their organization. And they and they discover that there is this software out there that that the um, vigilantes are using. That is this incredibly complex uh, mixture of technology and magic that is able to access all like correctional department databases and create false arrest warrants and create false charges against people. And so the story and so the story became uh, Danny and Luke trying to keep these people out of jail, trying to get them out of jail, and also to try to figure out who invented this software and why. Turns out the guy who invented the software is Alex Wilder of The Runaways. Ta-da! They're just going to keep fucking over The Runaways, aren't they? (laughs) Alex Wilder was already a villain in The Runaways, so I'm not that miffed about this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like uh, in the, like at, at the start of the Runaways, Alex was the de facto leader of the group. He was the smart one. He didn't have any powers. He didn't really have any equipment. He just had his brain. Um, near the near the end of like I think the first run of it, it was revealed that Alex knew that his parents were part of the Pride for years before the rest of the group found out about it. Was secretly feeding them information about what was happening and wanted to actually help their wanted to help his parents and the rest of the parents go through with the plan to destroy the world and give it to them. Alex got destroyed and killed alongside the gibberim and their parents. And he apparently came back from the dead at some point. Because of course he did. And now he is in uh Danny and Luke's territory trying to Make a new pride. How he's going about doing that is a bit roundabout. I'm not entirely sure how the software comes into play about that. But all in all, I'm kind of liking it. It is a the art style is very rough like the characters don't have a whole lot of detail to them except when they do uh it's it's more of a quality thing than a real like other yeah it's more it's more like a just the art isn't that great in terms of like the quality of how they show people 
and occasionally the backgrounds get really lazy where it's just nothing. Okay. But like characterization, writing and stuff, uh I think that's pretty good. Uh I the humor's all right. Uh it is it, it's actually doing it's actually doing kind of funny thing of showing Black Cat as the terrible gang leader she would be. Well, yeah, like, I mean, that's, that's what everyone's been saying. I, I don't know anyone who has liked the decision to make Black Cat into a crime boss. Oh no, it's a terrible like, decision, I, and it feels like the it feels like the writers of this are like kind of getting away with saying that in the book. Yeah, and again, I'm I'm wondering was that an editorial decision or did Dan Slot come up with that? I I'm not think sure Dan Slot came up with that because I know Cause that the, hap- I know it, that that decision only- happened because of Superior Spider Man, but. Uh, yeah, I feel like it was a Dan Slot decision. Yeah, he he needs to stop writing Spider-Man. <laughs> he really does. Let somebody else fucking take over Dan, please. And, like he, and is he is he still writing uh uh Silver Surfer with Mike Allred? Uh I have not read Silver Surfer in a little bit. Okay. Uh, I have an issue here that I think, yeah, he's still he's still doing that with the with the all reds because he's doing it with two of them now. Yeah, uh, Michael Allred is still on art, but then he has then there's Laura Allred who is the color artist. Okay, so good old nepotism coming through again, or whatever. Fuck it, it looks great, so fuck it, I don't care. Yeah, it's usually only nepotism if a relative is brought in just because they're a relative, not because they're competent. Like, that'd be like Terry Dodson saying, hey, my husband's not good at drawing, but we should work together. Okay. I. Oh, shit, actually. Uh, yeah, she she was also apparently the uh, colorist on uh, iZombie as well. Okay. For which she, yeah, for which she won the uh, 2012 Best Coloring Eisner Award. Having read that book, I can see that. Yeah. So yeah. So pretty good book. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, I the the story is interesting. I I still like you know going with these characters. Um, I. I'm it's I'm I'm actually kind of interested in where they're going with this Alex with this Alex Wilder. Okay. Like, like typically the reason that I've hated what they've done with other um characters like uh, from the from the uh from the uh runaways is that they have been showing them just like insane amounts of disrespect. Like yeah, like in I- like in fucking um Avengers Arena. Bringing in fucking uh, Nico and uh, Chase, tearing off Nico's arm and basically killing her, and then kind of retconning that with magic, uh, showing having uh, Carolina show absolutely no worry in anything Molly says because she's trying to get some. Uh, d- that, that fucking shit with Battle for the Atom, where Molly was the only fucking runaway in that, and they made her from Anderson character into generic hot buff lady 
the, the only the only uh, like runaway that has gotten like recent traffic that I've actually been kind of okay with has been Victor Mancha in both his work with uh, Avengers AI and his role in uh and his role in Vision. I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that I'm never going to get a Runaways book again. Yeah, that's what. That's one of the Brian <laughs> K. Vaughn books that's just been fucked over by Marvel Comics the longer it goes. And now we got that new fucking Runaways TV series coming. On the makers of Gossip Girl. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Hey, I was about to make it. Hey. I was about to. I was about to make a joke about that new Archie Riverdale series, but you beat me to it, technically. <laughs> that series is terrible. That series looks terrible, and I can't wait for it to come out. Yeah. I need a second Fuck Me series. Besides Gotham? <laughs> oh, no, I gave up on Gotham. My new one's Emerald City. Oh, that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where the scarecrow is a dude, and the cowardly lion is a dude, and the wizard is just a dude. <laughs> like from the jump, there isn't there's even the fucking artifice that he's a giant head. <laughs> the man behind the curtain tore uh, down the curtain years ago. He's now the man <laughs> under the wig. <laughs> oh, man. What's funny is I now have a horror story face related to both of those because Caveman saw that when we were at the at a trailer for that Riverdale series when we were at the theater last night and I got to watch him just go, no, no, no. And my mo- even my mother, when who's tends to not care about most things, when she saw the trailer for that uh, Wizard of Oz Emerald series was like, no. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I'm gonna be talking about that in some depth on this week's episode of the Comics Podcast. I mean, this week's episode of the Movies Podcast, because <laughs> it's basically the only thing I've watched of note. Okay, well, stay tuned for that. Meanwhile, maybe pick up Power Man and Iron Fist. It is an all right series. It came out. Largely unscathed from the Civil War fucking taint butter. <laughs> I was trying to think of some fucking fluid, and that's all I could think of. Moving on. All right. So... Staying on the mostly DC's been on a pretty good, it does do good stuff thing. Uh, Stars and Stripe. Okay. Which is, um, is from a creator I know you have problems with, but, um, I guess this was in his good period. Like when everyone loved his books, because this is written by Jeff Johns. I have my problems with him, but I think he is overall a decent writer. Yeah. Like the so thing, this was a... The, like, my problem with Jeff Johns is that he is a fanboy pandering writer. Okay, fair enough. Like, whenever... Like, given the option of going 
the interesting route or the route that people will write about on forums. He goes the forum route. Like, I think he's the one who kind of, like, pushed along that Batman, uh, that Batman Catwoman romance into, like, a real thing. From what I remember in, uh, Hush, like, I think Hush was of that iteration of Batman. That was kind of the first real big step in, like, an actual relationship between those two. From what I am aware. Yeah. But he's also the one that brought us fucking Superman Wonder Woman. You know, the relationship that everybody wanted. Yeah. They're but the bestest. He's the he's the strongest man and she's the strongest lady. They obviously want to fuck. I just blame that on New 52. <laughs> That's fair. So, um... So this was a a weird amalgamation of two ancient uh two old school characters into one character eventually. You would know this character, Courtney Whitmore, as Stargirl. Yes, she was in the uh Justice League animated series Unlimited, and she also recently appeared in, I believe, Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, she was part of the future JSA, I think, in that. The past well, JSA. Yeah. Well, she started out as um, a legacy character, which kind of a fun premise, kind of stupid overall, but fun when you watch it play out. So uh, she is uh, the stepdaughter of a guy named Pat Dugan, who during World War II was the um, uh, Bucky Barnes style sidekick of a World War II superhero named Stripesy. <laughs> Was he a cat? <laughs> no. Really embarrassing star-spangled outfit with short shorts. That could still be a cat. <laughs> you might not know this, but the late 30s and mid late 30s to mid 40s was the golden year for cat shorts. <laughs> They came with a special padding so that cats wouldn't tear up your garden while you poop while they pooped. Yeah. So Courtney, being a fifteen-year-old girl, doesn't really like her stepfather that much. Naturally, uh, does, and doesn't appreciate being moved across the country. Ostensibly, she says for that he says for him and his wife to get a new get new jobs, but it turns out later he's doing. On, down, on the down low superhero stuff in his new slightly less stupid moniker stripe s dot t dot r dot i it's 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 some uh monogram anagram not anagram uh what's the term uh mo- i can't remember the term for uh code names moniker uh no but the, the yeah, it's a it's where uh, each letter in a word stands for a full word, like shield. There's some specific word for it, but it's not coming to me. But any uh, stripe is basically a robot suit that kind of looks like a clunkier version of the big guy, if you remember that. I'm 
Abbreviation. Rusty the boy robot. Okay. Acronym and abbreviation. Acronym. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was trying to remember. But um, what turned? What it turns out? Well, when he was. Oh right, that fucking show. Yeah, forgot about that. What I can see, I can send you it. See if I can send you. No, no, I I found the image. Okay. No, I meant for uh, Stripe. I saw that image too. I am aware. I watched. I watched Justice League Unlimited. Okay. Yeah, but um, so Courtney finds out among amongst his old stuff uh, about that he hadn't packed away yet because they just moved about Stripesy. But he also it turns out the reason he was allowed to be a superhero is because his uh, superhero partner gave him a cosmic power belt, which gave him superhuman abilities. So. In order to fuck with her her stepfather, she fashions herself a version of his stripesy costume and calls herself the Star Spangled Kid and puts on the power belt and starts running around being a vigilante crime fighter. And it annoys the shit out of him because he keep she keeps finding the cases he's trying to solve. <laughs> uh. So he's using the stripe moniker to a help her out and B keep her out of trouble so he doesn't get in trouble with his with his new wife. <laughs> but she they she for a while can't stand his guts, so she's just looking for more trouble and constantly causing trouble with her uh, with this moniker. And in the in the grand tradition of late nineties, early two thousands superhero type stories, a small town in the Midwest Western USA is full of sci fi weird crap. Naturally, yeah, like. The art teacher is a guy who can turn into living paint. I got nothing for that. (laughs) And uh, frog people keep abducting students from the high school and giving them uh, mind control gear and costumes to serve... Some weird, crazy bitch with a, from the way they write her, a British accent and a white streak in her dark black hair. Well, that's just so probably standard. evil. <laughs> I mean, I've seen Smallville. <laughs> and at the very, and so far it's been mostly kind of silly. Um, and this is something that I was, I've, I'm familiar, this is a Grant Morrison book, I think, or it might be an Alan Moore book, I can't remember who wrote it. I think it's Grant Morrison, who I'm not familiar with. Grant, the, the Starman reboot from around this same period, was that Grant Morrison? I think that was James Robinson. Okay, I'm gonna look this up while I talk, but, uh, basically, um, the grandson of the previous Starman is forced to, it, not forced, he's told to inherit the powers, and he's kind of acting like, He's acting like a superhero, kind of like if Constantine was given a cosmic weapon. It's like, yeah, I might use this one. It's supposed to be, but I kind of don't really care. Yeah, that's uh, Jack Knight. <laughs> yeah, Jack Knight. Yeah, that's that's James Robinson. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep, James that, Robinson that, and Tony kinda, Harris. Yeah. Based on what I've seen of this, I kind of want to read that book. because Yeah, I've heard nothing but fucking spectacular things. Yeah, I just haven't gotten around to this one. But the, from what I've seen of it, it seems like a lot of fun. But, um, so yeah. I will get around to that at some point. And I, I don't know if it happens in this series or in a subsequent series where Courtney gets the... Where Jack Knight gives up being Starman and just gives his staff to Courtney so she becomes Stargirl. 
But apparently that stuck because I thought that was always her character. So this apparently stuck with where she now has two sets of superpowers. Yeah. But, but you know what? I've actually always kind of liked Courtney as a character, so I don't really mind that. I don't know. If, even this where she's being kind of a brat, you get where she's coming from. And she's a good person even if she's pissed about her current situation. So she's trying to do something to make her life less boring, it seems. Yeah. Also, uh, oh, another thing, the principal drinks oil. Like, he, whenever he's thirsty, he has a can of oil, of, like, motor oil in his desk, and he, he he occasionally has to rush students he's punishing out of his office so he can drink motor oil. I'll hear about that. Yeah. and uh, My principal did that all the time. And this is a, it's like a fun, it's a lot of fun crossover with a lot of the DC characters at the time. Like, uh, Billy Batson shows up fighting one of his minor villains who at some point I think crossed over with Starman and the original Star Spangled Kid. But that's Golden Age DC stuff. I don't know much about that. Uh, uh, fuck, goddammit. Yeah. No. And then it's, young. I, no, it's, I just. Apparently. Some time ago, Tony Harris went onto Facebook and tweeted his his disdain for cosplay girls. It, it uh, okay. God damn it, Tony Harris! You were a great artist. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, but there's always kinds of I I, I learn stupid things like that. Like I mean. You know who Ray Harryhausen is, right? Oh, yeah. He hates kaiju. He thought it was a stain on the monster movie medium because it was cheap and lazy. (laughs) Oh, that is hilarious. Yep. (sighs) Just... Like there's there's a diff- there's a difference there between like that of like hey this other this other medium that's kind of a competitor for what I'm doing fuck you and hey these people who spend a lot of time to dress up like characters that are right hey fuck you you're not hot enough <sighs> like here here's an actual quote hey co- hey quasi pretty not hot girl you are more pathetic than the real nerds who you secretly think are really pathetic with various capitalizations yeah, in there. No, no, fuck that shit. Leave that. Al- I don't. I don't truck with that. But um, yeah, no. The art style. Uh, I don't know how to describe the art style for this. It's very cartoony. And having looked at some of the uh, covers for this book, it the covers are done by the same artist who does the interiors. It's very clear because they have a very big problem with over. Uh, they don't do eyes well. So, whenever they have ex- exaggerated facial expressions, the eyes look dead. <laughs> or, like, the face is stuck sideways. Like, particularly if someone's looking over their shoulder and screaming at something, it looks like they just died and were stuck like that. <laughs> it's, it's as if Courtney suddenly became so... so oh my god! I <laughs> So that's a that's funny whenever that happens, and some stuff goes kind of wonky and off model. But us, honestly, for this period, I like this art style, and I think it works for this very very 
silly, cartoony comic book series. Like when Young Just when um the then Young Justice shows up in town, that's gets pretty silly. So I am not really opposed to this. Okay. But I would recommend it and at least the first dozen or so issues are on Comicsology. At least I think they are. So Okay. Check it out for yourself. Alright then, so moving on to my other book. My third book. Uh keep the DC train running. Let's talk about Nightwing. Ah uh, yes. Speaking of times in recent memory where Batgirl looked stupid. <laughs> so in the recent issues of Nightwing, the story has been that Nightwing has worked with a guy named Scorpion. Uh some kind of fucking super person who has a magic glove. That is like, what if Batman was a glove? He got dealt with. Then Zootman showed up and said, hey, Dick. My dick used to be in Gotham. My, my, my dick used to be in Bloodhaven. I think I have a title right now, but anyway. So yeah, uh... Yeah, the, yes, uh, he met the, um, you know, pre-52 Superman who said, like, hey, my Dick Grayson, like, we were close, we were bros, uh, he hung out in Bloodhaven, and just kind of, like, te- just kind of having the Superman tell this dick about all the shit that they used to do together and whatever, which seems to be a recurring thing, just in a lot of these, in a lot of these, like, New 52 era books, or, like, Rebirth books or whatever, the new soup, the old Superman will show up and say, hi, person I used to know, you were like this in my old, you were like this in the old life, and then they react to that somehow. So far, it's happened to Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, Dick Grayson, and Wally West. So Dick moves to Bloodhaven. Just because. He, and spends, he, he spent a lot of time in Bloodhaven. Yeah, Bloodhaven was kind of... Bloodhaven was his city. Yeah. And I, I know that. Like, I, I don't have a lot of history with Nightwing before he became Batman or whatever, but I know that I know that uh, for a while in, like, the best run of his character that a lot of people will consider, like, the fucking primo Nightwing story, he's in Bloodhaven. Yeah. And so... He's now back in Bloodhaven, and he is working at, like, a youth outreach center. Trying to, like, help people out and whatever. And first night he goes out, he comes across uh, Gorilla Grimm. A new, hitherto unmentioned gorilla from Gorilla City. Who is in the process of being arrested. The cops, not really phased by a giant talking gorilla... Because apparently Bloodhaven PD just don't give a fuck. That was all the imp- always the impression I got. Yes, they arrest him, and then the girl's like, hey, I'm innocent. This is... They are fucking stringing me up here. Please help. And so he... Yeah, please talk to this lady, who is... Who is the person running uh, the... Uh, the person running like the youth outreach center. Uh, goes and finds her, and turns out she is an old supervillain of his. Not really a supervillain, as much as a... Supervillain sidekick. When I say supervillain, I mean somebody who steals expensive artwork and paints it. 
They are art terrorists. And she was known as the defacer. Turns out that there is actually this like fucking support group of supervillains who are trying not to be supervillains anymore. And all of them are people like Dick dealt with in the past. And now for whatever reason, uh, somebody is framing these people for murder and getting them arrested. It's not ter- it's not a terrible idea for a story. Like uh I I kind of get where they're coming from to an extent. Like the, the thing that with like the thing that I think of when I think of Bloodhaven is that it was like a reverse of Gotham where like with Gotham it was like oh sh- shit on like the fucking ground level is terrible. But then it gets like less and less as it goes up like a pyramid kind of thing. And then with uh, Bloodhaven, it was a reverse pyramid where everybody who was evil and shit was at the very top. And so it was kind of like a flip on it. So having, you know, fucking. So having Dick show up at the in, in the city and become friends with a bunch of fucking uh, become friends with a bunch of supervillains. That seems like a very. Simple idea based on his past yeah I can see that the characters aren't terrible art is not nearly as good as it was before rebirth because say what you will about that fucking Grayson book the artwork was real good well yeah they they wanted you to see his ass oh hell yeah best ass in DCU I know Nico misses it so much Oh hell yeah, he is. He talks about it all the time. Every time we talk, every time we fucking text each other, he just talk. He just texts me about Dick Grayson's ass. But yeah, it's. I like that they're going with C list villains. I like Dick Grayson. Like he's still being written well. I like this idea for a story. Okay. But at this point I feel like I'm just moving along with momentum. Like you're not you're just being it's not enough to really get you're not engaged by it, you're just kind of sticking with it because. Yeah, like it is not it's not bad. Like I'm not saying it's bad in any way. Like artwork is fine. Writing is pretty good. Characterization is good. I'm just not engaged on almost any level. Like if like if if one of these villains was a villain that has an actual history in the Nightwing books from this era of Nightwing books, like I I don't know if I don't know if these villains were were like previously in Nightwing and I just haven't I just like missed out on them or whatever. But I don't really feel invested in the plight of these fucking jobbers. Like, hey, you have you are dressed like an Australian man, and you can punch real good. But you don't want to punch anymore. That's great. I've seen so far. I've seen you punch twice and then be sad about it. Not really much of a struggle there, dude. Like, hey, Defacer, you spray painted the Mona Lisa once, and now you don't want to do that anymore. Neato. Why do I care? 
like, yeah, Nightwing cares because he has supposed history with them. But if the reader doesn't have that same history and they had not done it and the writer hasn't done a really good job of making these characters completely and wholly engaging from the jump. Like if you're going to do a story about villains trying to, you know, better themselves, have it be villains that people know. Or, I mean, there are cases of that working out. Like, I don't know if anyone knew who fucking Porcupine was when they reintroduced her with Jessica Drew. Yeah, yeah, fair. It's. I think it's all about writing. And from what it sounds like you're saying, there's their characterizations are not distinct enough to each of these characters to make up for the fact that this is not all that interesting of a concept on, in and of itself at this point. Yeah, well, and also, so with, with Porcupine, Porcupine was a pre-existing character. Yeah. Porcupine has been around since the Silver Age. The Defacer showed up for the first time in the issue where she showed up for the first time. Okay, yeah, that's dumb. Like, I don't think any of these characters are actual long-standing villains. Like, if it was... If this was, like, fucking that dude with no arms who uses his toes to throw hammers at people. Then I could see that. I would know that, oh, this character has a long history of villainy with, like, dozens of stories out there where they did all kinds of villainous shit, but now they're trying to get their life back on track. But if it is, oh, you were created fucking five days ago for this issue, and you are a good person, but used to be bad, but you have no history of being bad to anybody's knowledge, so fuck it. Just give us a, like, if you if you had given us, like, a couple of, like, pre-existing, long-standing villains. They don't even need to be fucking big listers, like fucking Porcupine. That, that's a perfect example. Porcupine is a character who has been around for decades. Has all this history about him. And then they started doing something new with him. They were able to do that because he was a fucking C-lister. Nobody knew who the fuck Porcupine was. But he was a name. People knew him. So having him, beca- so having him switch sides, having him start being just the fucking best friend of Jessica Drew... That has weight behind it. Okay. But fucking mouse. The hacker with a pet mouse. Who the fuck cares about that guy? Eh. The only villain who seems to have like any real standing, I guess. I just make I just want to make sure that this villain is actually. Yeah, okay. Orca. Orca is the only villain that I'm aware of that has appeared in previous comics. Character is 17 years old, having having been having been introduced in 2000. Okay. She's the she's the most legacy character they can afford to have. Anyway, Yeah. Probably going to end up dropping Nightwing, Nightwing at some point. Unless they can, yeah. unless they can like, uh, unless they can, like, find a way to make me really care about these characters or give Nightwing more of a reason to stay in Bloodhaven other than Superman told him they used to stay in Bloodhaven. 
then this book's probably going to just fucking fall by the wayside. Anyway, final book or other book, Birdie. Is this the final book? I, I wasn't. I wasn't counting. <laughs> uh, I have one more, so I think you might have one more too. Okay. Well, uh, on the DC train, but on the good because it's such a batshit insane idea, and I think I, I was hoping Nico would be on to talk about this, but he can talk about it later. Uh, Peter David's Supergirl. Is that the one where she's a literal angel? Yeah. And it's weirder than it's even weirder than that in this book because what ends up happening is, um, so one of the big event things from DC people remember is that at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths, Kara Zor El Supergirl died. Yes, but even though they killed off Supergirl, the Supergirl moniker was still a popular character. So DC kept looking for ways to have a Supergirl without just bringing back Kara Zor El. And what they came up with in the late 80s was a protoplasmic angel imprinted with Kryptonian DNA to look like Supergirl. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Called uh, Matrix. And that was weird enough. But then. And then you get to this series where. Matrix, the angel Supergirl, merges with uh, Kara Danvers. No, Linda Danvers. I'm sorry. Wrong. Wrong. I was combining a couple of different names. Linda Danvers, um, who is a teenage Supergirl fan slash uh, cult member who is attempting to help her boyfriend, Buzz, again, 90s, bring a demon god into this world and just didn't realize that her her boyfriend was going to eventually use her as a human sacrifice for the process. Supergirl interrupts the Matrix interrupts the uh ceremony, but Sup- but Linda is still stabbed to death and can only be saved by fusing with Matrix so that and this is where I have no idea what the fuck is going on because the book makes it clear Matrix appears to still be in control, but there are. But she also has absorbed the memories and personality of Linda Danvers, so she can imitate it. So you would think Linda Danvers is dead from that description, but there are scenes in the first volume of this where Linda Danvers is talking about how she was a horrible person and how the up to this point soulless and hating herself for it, emotionless uh, Matrix was just as human as she always wanted to be even before this happened. So I have no idea who the fuck is talking at any given moment, and since they keep jumping back and forth between the Supergirl look and the teenage... uh, Like, there's a very... This is not like uh, Clark Kent or Cara Danvers putting on, like, a wig or glasses. This is very distinct physical differences in size and shape between Supergirl and the civilian identity. But it's the psychology of it that's fucking bizarre. Okay. Uh, And, um... Buzz, I guess through his demonic pals, figures out what happened, 
and decides, oh, this is going to be even more fun than sacrificing uh, Linda Danvers to my demon god. I'm now going to sacrifice the protoplasmic angel Supergirl, who is also Linda Danvers. But because you have parts of Linda Danvers in you, I know what buttons to press. Yeah. So he, so he is trying to compel her to sin because there's a heavy, heavy religious symbolism in this for a Superman book. But, really? Um, a book with the protoplasmic angel has fucking religious symbology in it. I never would have guessed. Yeah. And uh, Supergirl at one point fights a demon cat god and she defeats that she's up because she fights the demon cat got off, but is overpowered. So what she ultimately ends up doing is she makes it bleed enough to release its scent into the rest of the hellscape so that dog demons come and eat it. <sighs> yeah. That's a thing. Sounds like it. And uh, at some point, Buzz gives Gorilla Grodd an artifact, to uh, a magical artifact that enhances his psychic power so he can turn people more bestial and, as well as control them to the point where he can even do this against Supergirl. And they have a weird physical slash mental battle because the protoplasmic angel Supergirl also has psychic powers. Naturally. Um. Oh God. <laughs> Are you okay, dude? I uh, yeah, just trying to make sense of this. I really liked it, but I it's difficult to explain. <laughs> I'm going a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's there's a couple of other issues like uh. Apparently, Linda Danvers is friends with, um, uh, is she called Mary Marvel when she's not in her superhero form, or is that some other, what's her full, what's her name, is it just Mary Batson? Uh, yes. Okay, yeah. Linda Danvers is friends with Mary Batson, and because Linda Danvers does not look like Supergirl, she's a little weirded out when Supergirl tells her stuff that only Linda Danvers would know, and she's like... Linda, is that you in there? And she's like, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting conversation. And then there's this weird, you know, the superhuman, the super villain Chemo. Chemo, yeah. Chemo, yeah. Um, he apparently wishes to be something other than he is. And I don't know exactly what happens. He somehow transmutes himself into rain. That sounds about right. <laughs> and uh, the volume ends with, uh, this is a supervillain, I'm not familiar, Tempest? Tempest. I, I, yeah, I've heard of him. He is uh, yeah. He, uh, From what I've read from this book, he is a, a god or something of, of time. He's like a whirlwind with sickles is his design, kind of. I don't know if that's the character you're talking about, but... That's what's in this book, because basically Buzz has decided to just pull out all of the stops and come straight to Linda Danvers' house and threaten his her family and threaten to tell her family about what Linda was involved in before her death. 
and it it ends with Tempest blowing up um, the Danvers house and it seeming like the entire family's dead, which causes Matrix to go ape shit. And she for and this is the part I don't get. At the end of the volume, oh, this is the Buzz, part you don't get. Yeah, because Buzz is about to get exactly what he want, what he and his demon god friend wanted. Linda, uh, Supergirl is about to brutally beat this guy to death unjustly, some would say, but I mean that's debatable. And for some reason, Buzz then asks her. Is this what is this your method or not? Because I know this would have been Linda's method when she was a uh, disinfer- uh, disinterested um, teenager. Because her whole thing before which she joined she joined a cult is because her family was super religious, but she was kind of um, disillusioned with it when she found her um, priest fucking her married te- her her married teacher. Yeah, that'll do it. So, and for some, and between Linda Danvers talking to Matrix and Buzz, for some reason, trying to talk Matrix out of doing the thing he and his demon friend wanted her to do, she's she stops from going over the edge, and for this, the demon god punishes Buzz by literally tornadoing him out of the story. Yay? Is that I don't, yeah, I don't know. That's it just sounds weird. Yeah, this whole book is weird. It's it's good, but it's difficult to explain why. <laughs> like beyond the fact that uh, Peter David, I consider to be one of those art those writers who I think has been forgotten, but has done a lot of great shit, particularly with Hulk books on Marvel. Um, he, but he, he's also the guy who Bill Jimis picked a fight with and created Marvel for, and. Mm. Peter David must have been laughing in laughing all the way to the bank when he won that bet because Bill Jemis bet Marvel will outsell your new version of of uh, the original Captain Marvel, which brought back Carol Danvers. No, oh, sweetie. <laughs> that is just hilarious. But also, I like the art in this book. It's like it's. This in this in the case of this of uh, um this whereas I was talking with um stars and stripe about faces not working, I think everything in this works. It's just stylized in the most bizarre ways. <laughs> and I <laughs> see if I can find a decent image of just how weird this book is from this period. Uh, because there is a point where they they the book changes a lot because they want it to be more like um uh the the version of the supergirl that's on the DC animated show that was running concurrently with this. Yeah. But for the first few years you had images and these are common in the book. Uh like this. Funky. Yeah. But like ridiculously well detailed. And if you've ever seen um you remember the first is- the first issue cover of the Kamala Khan Miss Marvel series? Yes. 
That was a reference to the first issue of Peter David Supergirl. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, let me see if I can bring up that cover. Just so I, you know I've seen the, I've seen the cover. It's her with like a fucking very nineties like you know fucking plaid jacket with a skateboard with like some evil Ernie smile on it. Yeah, and like the Supergirl shirt underneath, but also ridiculously well detailed and drawing. I don't. I yeah. can't remember who draws this book, but I, I think for I think for that one it was. Uh, I, I had the I had the fucking page up here just a second ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. It says that the uh, it says Gary Frank. Yeah, and aside, there's a couple of issues in here which are not drawn by him, and it's very noticeable <laughs> <laughs> because any issues that are not it's any issues that are not drawn by uh, Gary Frank are sort of like. Um, when switching away from James Stoko on Godzilla, <sighs> you're sort of like, no, no, go back to the other thing. <laughs> Come on, guys. He's good. He's good. Also, so, it yeah, looks like um, uh, this year uh, DC is going to be re-releasing uh, the collected editions of uh, this Peter David run on Supergirl. Yeah, well, they've released the first one already. That was what I was reading. The second one comes out in March or April, I think. Yeah. And then the, yeah, and the third um, one comes out in June. Yeah. But yeah, if you want an idea of batshit crazy that kind of works, then maybe pick up this first volume. You might get a kick out of it, particularly you, Dead Man. If you like, you're just like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, the entire time we've been talking about it, I have been looking for a way to get it. Yeah. Through various means of dubious legality. <laughs> I yeah, am gonna I be. Can. I'm gonna start saving some money, so I can't really just start. I can't really usually. I can't spend my usual 150 dollars on comics a month. Yeah, I get that. Plus, I as I still, uh, I still haven't finished the first volume of the of uh, the Invisibles or the first volume of uh, the Hellblazer series I bought. Yeah. Oh God, believe me, I have a laundry list of stuff I need to get through that I've bought. So I probably should stop buying. But Comixology sales keep showing me stuff that I want for collector purposes, but that's my my own personal problem. Yeah, I've been falling but, behind on a. I mostly just been falling behind on like the issue to issue stuff because the way I get those, like how that works is like I'll get the I'll get these single issues how I will, and then if I'm still reading it by the time the by the time the first trade comes out or whatever, I will pick up the trade. Okay. Just I. I have a bit of a back catalog on that. Uh, I have a folder saved to my stay to my fucking taskbar that is about five pages long of books I need to buy. Also, okay. Looney Tunes, also Looney Tunes Blu-rays. Okay. Yeah, I. For anybody out there who was curious, I do always intend to buy whatever I read. Just with what was me not having a job. It is a slow process. Okay. But I am but I am slowly but surely building a fucking grip. Got a nice little tower of like fucking 40 books. Because I can't afford a bookshelf. 
Okay. I want to I want to read Animal Man again, but I don't think my action, but I, my wrist isn't strong enough to hold that book. That'd be funny. Your 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 workout regimen is to get you to the point where you can read a book. No, it's just you work out on, on I've smaller been, trade paperbacks and work your way up to the giant omnibuses. <laughs> yeah, right now I right now I am you know doing like fucking you know. Five sets, ten reps of uh, you know, like two hundred page, like two hundred page, uh, like paperback books. After, once I once I'm able to do that pretty well, I'm gonna be moving up to hardcovers. <laughs> yeah. All right. So your last book, The Flash. Okay, I've not heard anything about this book since it was revamped and rebirth, other than the stuff with the button. The button. Or was that a different Flash? The the button from the Rebirth that Batman. Okay, and okay. The, the, okay, yeah, that was at the beginning of this. Okay, hasn't really been brought up since. All right. <laughs> so this Flash, uh, it starts out uh, pretty. Uh, this this Flash starts out uh, pretty much immediately after you know the immediately after the uh, Rebirth issue. You know the Rebirth a uh, single one shot kind of thing. And, and so it was Barry Allen. He's, you know, racing around a city, got his buddy back. Everything's all great and shit. Uh, and then, and then a speed force storm comes through town and gives a bunch of fucking randos speed force powers. And then, uh, Yeah, and then it turns out that uh, one of Barry's cop buddies also gets Speed Force powers, and he starts uh, like basically working alongside the Flash as a sidekick, while this re- while uh, Star Labs is working as a as working as a facility to try to figure out what happened to like where the Speed Force storm came from, how it's affecting these people, and to train these people to use their powers properly so they don't just go fucking running into buildings. Uh, some people get the powers and start freaking out and stuff. Um, this leads into like the Godspeed thing. That is all done with. Uh, this, the, where it's at now is with Barry training the new Wally West, we'll call him. Because new Wally also has powers. Uh, he is, you know, getting used to them, getting how to use them. Flash finds out about it and starts training him. Uh, the new Wally does not know that Barry is still, is Barry is the Flash. But he's but Barry seems to have a good relationship both as the Flash and as Barry with Wally, basically through Iris, because when this when New Wally was introduced, uh, Iris was just like, "Hey Barry, could you watch my fucking nephew or whatever?" And then the two of them ended up becoming friends or whatever. And yeah, so the last few issues just kind of been have been um kind of an even split. But have been focusing a lot on Wally. Okay, I like Wally. Well, new Wally. Is that a significant downgrade from old Wally? I'm not spent a whole lot of time with old Wally. Okay, my history with old Wally is Justice League. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of what they were drawing from because around the same time that series was on the air. 
in in uh, Grant Morrison and subsequent writers JLA book, he was the Flash everyone was familiar with because Barry Allen was dead at that point. Okay, yeah. So from what I've from what I've been told, he's the funny one. Yeah, well, that, that everyone wants the Flash to be funny because of that series, but Barry Allen was always kind of more of of a goober. Kind yeah, of that, like uh, Grant uh, Gustin's version of him. Okay, yeah, that is that makes sense from what I have seen of various versions of Barry. Just some fucking, some he fucking can be charming, but he's he's kind a he's of a, a fucking doof. dork. Yeah, he works in a fucking CSI lab. You can't be a fucking hip and happening motherfucker working out of a fucking crime lab. Yeah. Yeah, so the last few issues, uh, the storyline I'm mainly focusing on is uh, Barry training Wally, new Wally. Wally, new Wally, not really, not really feeling respected by the Flash because the because he doesn't know the Flash's secret identity and the Shade, uh, a character okay. who was introduced in uh, James Robinson's Starman series and has been an interesting character. He is a former supervillain turned not supervillain turned something. He's just kind of there now. And yeah. And it was uh he and it was a uh, so he has like this hat or whatever that goes to like some weird shadow dimension uh where he where like the shadows he controls are but he lost control of them years ago because his girlfriend got sucked in and started controlling the shadows. As an incredibly subtle metaphor for take f- from whatever. Fuck, I don't know. And it was just, yeah, Barry trying to teach Wally. Wally's like, well, you don't trust me. You don't tell me if you're going to say it whatever. It's like, dude, fucking. A, there's a time and place for this shit. And B, people who know me get fucked up, dude. And then, yeah, they go save fucking Iris or whatever. And then Barry asks out Iris. So the thing that presumably everybody has been waiting for. Because that, when I when I when I first heard that uh, in the New Fifty Two, Barry and Iris would have been split up, I was very confused. I did not understand why. Like of all the relationships in like DC Comics, that one seemed to be the one that everybody liked. Like it, like it was fucking those two and fucking Lois and Clark. So then just going, hey, fuck you guys. They make a whole lot of sense. But now they're fucking starting up that shit again. Even though Barry lost a girlfriend presumably about three days ago. This fucking the time scale in this book is fucking ridiculous. It's I have no idea how much time has passed between fucked. it. I have no idea how much time has passed between issues. I have no idea what the fuck's happening half the time in terms of when things are happening in relation to other things. Yes, yeah, so but at the end of that shade storyline, he asks out Iris. They go on a date, and then New Wally is just running around stopping every crime so that Barry and Iris can have their date with no interruptions. Which it's that's it's it's again it's fine. 
the artwork is kind of scratchy, but it manages to show like the speed and kind of how those things, how like those things all work with each other. It, I think it looks fine. Uh, the writing of it is solid, not at the level of new 52 flash, like, you know, Bugaletto and Manipul, but it is totally fine. Barry still feels like Barry new Wally. I am liking. He is. He's a good kid. He seems to be doing. He seems to be doing like superheroing stuff. And just like a general love for as like a general want to help people. Also because it's really fucking fun. Which is a superhero motivation I can totally get behind. Sure. Like, like yeah, there is like the deeper thing of like, oh, my fucking uncle who was actually my dad was the fucking Reverse Flash. So I have problems on that. But in all this internal monologue, it is like. It's like, yeah, help people, help people, everything is great. And that's kind of why I do, and that's kind of one of the reasons I do this. The other reason is just, I fucking love running, dude. Feeling fucking lightning and shit, punching dude in the face to save some baby. That's fucking great. Which, okay. Which, from what I, which I feel like is a kind of a Wally West esque thing. Just, just like he's, he just he keeps flashing. Even with all the horrible things that happen because just, Helping people and it's fun. Yeah, other than that, just a lot of lukewarm books. Just like, hey, it's doing enough to keep, it's doing enough to keep me reading, but nothing that really stands out as like this big is like this big thing. Not even like an individual element that really stands out as like, hey, fucking the book, dude. Is it a sad statement that saying that? Um the vast majority of DC books are either great or just okay is a vast improvement. Uh, yeah, that's kind of sad. <laughs> like half the books that DC has out right now kind of feel like they're in a holding pattern. Yep. Just they're like, just like we have, like we have something big coming for all these books, but just like, hold on for like four months while we get that, while we get that ramped up. Yeah, like Peter Tomasi Superman, that clearly knows where it's going. Yeah. That's kind of awesome. Uh but like the Titans books. Yeah, I, I I'm reading I'm reading those I'm reading the Titans books, and I have been enjoying them. I'm liking the dynamic between all the characters and stuff. It's just I have no idea what the purpose is. Hello? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I did. I mean, I didn't have anything really to say to that. So <laughs> okay, well, yeah, it is. It's like, hey, these characters—they are working on each other. They have good chemistry. The person who's writing this understands they have a long history together, and that shit is super fucking complicated now because of all the rebirth and New Fifty Two shit. Like fucking Donna Troy has another new origin story. Yeah, because for well, like twelfth one or something. At this point, I'm not expecting the the Donna Troy origin story to ever make sense. So, no, they're, no, they're trying. He, he, no, here's, they're, the, no, here's the dumbest thing though: she had an origin story, like this version of Donna Troy from New Fifty Two and this universe. She had a very specific origin story. Yeah, but I then remember. because Wonder Woman, but then because Wonder Woman said her origins, because the Wonder Woman book said the Wonder Woman origin story is completely fucking false or whatever. That origin story then becomes fucking null and void, and now she has a new origin story that we don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, that book's been fine. Uh, Brent Booth has been doing all right on art. Like, I know, I know some people have some problems with him, but I've thinking like, but I've been thinking like his artwork on this run of the book has been pretty good. Yeah, also, Old Wally is still just. I don't know what it says about me or the comics industry, but sometimes just having a character who is just a good guy is enough to get me to keep reading the book and, and like the character. Yeah. Like fucking Huck, Superman, New Wally, Old Wally. Just, Space hey, cabbie on Justice League action. Yeah, just, hey, these guys are some good people. Yeah. All right, Bertie. Found a book. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see if we can do a quick one. This has been running long already. Yeah, I'll leave some of those other ones for... So, yeah, I'm just going to keep saying um, Lady Killer 2 is still pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. It's dark. It's mean. It's bloody. It's violent. It's twisted. It is the gorgeous. Is, yeah, the art's still fantastic. Fucking Joel uh, Jones rocking it every week. Yeah. Well, not every week, Month. but every time. Yeah. <laughs> every every two to seven weeks. Yep. And despite this being about a woman who is a hitman for hire, I really like this main character. Oh, yeah. Like, she, like. And I, I just love the, the housewifey nature of it all. It's like where her, her mother in law is like. They they both hate each other, but they both have kind of legitimate reasons to hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> ah, this book is really good. Yeah. So, still, Lady Killer 2. I have to wait till the end of this new miniseries before I say whether or not it's better than the first, but it's definitely building on the first. Yeah, it is... I feel like, for whatever reason... I've been saying that a lot this episode, but that actually kind of feels like Lady Killer kind of feels like a female John Wick for whatever reason. I can kind of see that. I was going to go with like, just like I'm not not talking about in terms of character. I'm talking about in terms of the way they tell a story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I don't need to tell you everything. They tell you enough. Yeah, like 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 first series, it introduces us to this character and the world and this organization that she's a part of. Then resolve that story, and then we go on to, and she just moves somewhere else, and we see that there's this whole other facet to the world that we aren't aware of. Yep. <sighs> Some good ass books. Yep. Anything else I want to say about Lady Killer? Sorry, I kind of stole that. No, that's fine. I mean, I just, I. I it's a book we've talked about at length before, and I don't really have much to say about it again until it concludes, but I will give it a hearty recommendation. It's quality. It's continued quality is kind of astounding. Okay. So then reading then on to news. First up. Or are we leading off with that one? <laughs> Not saving it for the end. Okay. I don't want to build up to Goyer. <laughs> Spoiler. Goyer is best. Li- Goyer is like a band-aid. You don't fucking go hair by hair. You just fucking go. All right. Going to do it on three. One rip. 
So Warner Brothers has announced that learning, Green Lantern learning Corps, nothing. Yeah. yeah, learning nothing. <laughs> yeah, learning nothing ever has officially announced Green Lantern Corps, uh, the newest probable train wreck in the DC Extended Universe. Probable nothing. Goyer's the writer and producer. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, actually they, they revealed that a few a while back, like when they fucking started all this shit. But nothing has really moved with it. They've been just kind of focusing, well, air quotes focusing, <laughs> on their current lineup. And Green Lantern Corps currently has a tentative release date of 2020. And now Deadline is reporting that David S. Goyer, <sighs> along with Justin Rhodes, uh, have been hired to uh, write the script for the new movie. Uh, it's being described as Lethal Weapon in Space. And I'll be focusing on Hal Jordan and John Stewart. The Black Jew? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) His family name was Leibowitz. His family name was Leibowitz, but he changed it for television. So yeah, that's kind of all we really need to fucking say about this shit. Just our Goyer. thoughts on <laughs> Goyer are vast <laughs> and far-reaching in the amount of hatred we have for this man. <laughs> but we did stumble across a kind of game that you, the folks at home, can play. Just, uh, just kind of out of nowhere. Birdie texted me about this. And then we just kind of started going back and forth trading the worst possible ideas we could think of for a Green Lantern movie. Because at this point with, with DC's live action films, you're not going to get much real entertainment out of them. unless it, So you kind of have to get your entertainment where you can find it. And at this point... The DC film universe has become such an interesting train wreck that you kind of have to just see what... You kind of have to imagine what happens if they just turn into the skid. Oh, I just... It's, this Collider article has an image of... From the from the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. And there's an image of fucking Reynolds there with a minigun in the suit with no expression on his face. And it is fucking hilarious. <laughs> So this is going to be a train wreck. See, I just, just, hey, you probably won't because our audience isn't exactly one for engaging with us. But should you decide to tweet at us, either me or Birdie, uh, links to our Twitter is in the description for this, and just tweet at us like fucking the worst ideas you can think of for a Green Lantern movie. Or Green Lantern Corps movie. Yeah. Birdie, for example, uh, texted me 
The only thing I can remember is that uh, he got the name of Larflees wrong. But I feel like that might have been intentional. And if it wasn't, I'm going to consider it intentional. <laughs> uh, I think I, I think um, I, I think it wasn't intentional. But it's like given given Goyer's track record, I could sort of see it. I'm actually kind of surprised he wouldn't have gone Snarflees. Yeah, just snarf. <laughs> just going full Thundercats. I can almost imagine him designing Larflees like thun- like Star from Thundercats. No, okay, Larflees starts out as like a fucking gopher for the Green Lantern Corps. Just he is like fucking Kilowog's bitch or whatever, and then and then like fucking years of abuse is what drives him towards the Orange Lantern. Yeah, or like Dude, uh, another one. Check that off the fucking box. Yeah, or like Atrocitus is the is the is the Green Lantern Corps jock who doesn't like. The other jocks being more jockey than him, so he gets angry. <laughs> <laughs> there is no Ganthit, just only Zool. <laughs> yes, Ganthit becomes the Ganthit becomes fucking par- uh, Parallax. Just turns into a fucking space fart. Anyway, speaking of stupid, <laughs> Marvel has announced their next big event. Oh, God. <laughs> Secret Empire. Right. I saw this. I don't know what this is, and I don't want to. <laughs> so, a teaser image was released that just has Secret Empire with the new Captain America shield in the center of it. So, what I'm assuming it will be is the is the Hydra Cap storyline coming to fruition. That is the only assumption I can make. I've heard rumblings about that, that the evil, that the still evil Captain America is now going to be working to subvert Red Skull as the leader of all of Hydra. That was, that they they revealed that in issue three. Okay. Which I, which is the issue I stopped reading. Yeah. But yeah, so they released that teaser image along with the uh, tagline, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Can you even call the Marvel Universe a house at this point? They keep put they keep breaking it. <laughs> yeah, it's the Marvel Universe is an IKEA table. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it it's that um Speaking of good Marvel movies, it's that um, IKEA cabinet that the that Blind Al bought off of uh, Craigslist. Yeah, the Flurgenhofer or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just all right. So I got this thing. We're gonna fucking put it together, and then that's gonna be the thing, and then we're gonna destroy it. And we're gonna build it again. And destroy it. Anyway, moving on to our next piece of news. Because fuck that, I guess. Just fuck everything. Fuck me. Fuck you. Fuck all of this. Everyone's going to die. So the CW is bringing back Matt Ryan as Constantine. In an right, animated series this. for CW Seed. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about the fact that all of DC's best TV animation stuff... Well, okay, not anymore. Justice League Action's kind of fixing that. But until recently, all of DC's best 
animated stuff was going to a streaming limited website that still uses fucking Flash Player. <sighs> it's... <sighs> it is what it is. We're all fucked. Moving on. So Marvel is beginning to overhaul its digital redemption program. So since 2011, um, what it was was uh, you bought was you bought the book, you bought it in like print, and then it had a code in it that let uh, you obtain a digital copy. And maybe a couple other things. Uh, I'm not entirely sure because I mainly just been going digital. Yeah. However, I either go one or the other. Yeah. However, uh, in February of this year, uh, those codes will be for two or more digital issues and not the book that you actually bought. Uh, from Marvel's senior vice president of sales, uh, David Gabriel. Marvel is continuing our commitment to, by offering our fans the best value in comics, along with honoring our cornerstone of the comic industry, the retailers. Our intent in, invo- in evolving our digital code program is to offer our fans a more value per dollar spent. Replacing the free digital copy, our bonus digital comics will offer fans free entry points for current on-sale collected editions and, in turn, invite additional and repeat traffic to our trusted retailers. So, things will begin uh, with the week of February 1st, where uh, when you buy select Marvel comics at a local retailer, you'll get free digital copies of Civil War Issue Zero, Wolverine number 66, the first issue of the Old Man Logan arc, and the first issue of the new Captain Marvel series. Yeah, I looked at what that's going to be. That's not gonna uh that's not a prize yeah jim nosados marvel sales director went on to say marvel will always be a brand that looks to excite our fans as well as drive traffic to our tried and true retailers one of the free bonus digital comics uh, offered in february will be civil war number zero in time to promote the civil war 2 collection on sale that month then each week new bonus digital comic codes available only in our local comic shops will offer fans additional pathways into the Marvel Universe, promote Marvel's monthly trades, and create repeat customers for Mar- and Marvel readers for life. Which is why we're starting off with Civil War II. <laughs> Naturally, fans are a bit peeved about this. You don't say. Yeah. A change.org petition has already been started. That has a hilariously low number of supporters. Just over 600. And this thing was, I believe. Yeah, so this petition was started a week ago. And in that one week time, 600 supporters. That is embarrassingly low. Yeah, so they have been trying, they've been, so this, the point of this petition is to try to get Marvel to revert back to what they were, what they were, uh, what the, how the code worked before. Uh, it was uh, started by James McDonald of Calgary, Canada. Thanks, James. That's not your James, I'm assuming. Uh, no, it is not. My James is from Delaware. 
Okay. So the petition reads, Marvel Comics has decided to change how they run their digital code program. They will no longer give digital copies of the titles purchased, but instead give a set of books each week. Please help have this decision changed to actually give fans slash customers the best value for their money. Appreciate your enthusiasm, dude. This isn't going to work. Nope. Change.org has never changed anything, as far as I'm aware. At least, at least not anything significant. They've, I've looked at some of their petitions. Some of the stuff they've changed is ultimately rather small in the grand scheme of things. And it's usually sort of like how uh, civil rights organizations take credit for wins that are most likely because the business interests that they were fighting against just didn't give a shit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, moving on to our next piece of news. Good old Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, who is a writer who has flitted between brilliance and pants-shitting retardation. Is coming back with a brand new book. That is only happening because Netflix is making a show about the Defenders. They're making a comic book of the Defenders. I mean, they, they've had various comic books of the Defenders over the years. The specific not. Defenders from the Defenders TV yeah, show. Yeah, I know, I know. But and I'm, I'm aware. Defend- but the only reason that this, the only reason that they are now doing a book called the Defenders, is because yeah, of the TV okay. show. Yeah, no, I get that. But like, the Defenders was always one of those like B or C grade team Marvel books that okay, that had good runs, in particular Matt Fraction's run. But was, uh, that, was that Doctor Strange? Yeah, uh, yeah, Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, um, uh, the Red She-Hulk, and uh, White Dragon, Iron Fist. Okay. But yeah, so this new book is going to be written by Bendis with art by David Marquez. So I'll probably Mar- end up reading it. Please, I, I know how much you love Marquez's art, so please, I really hope Marquez does not end up shackled to everything Bendis does at Marvel. Now. Nor do I. I want I, I want a Dave Marquez creator owned book. Um, I, I'm not gonna say that because it, I don't have a good history with artists becoming writers. No, I'm not saying as a writer. I'm saying I'm saying he's the art side of a creator owned oh, book. Okay, so you want him to. Go and work Submit with somebody art for, else. Like image or boom. Team like, up, team up with team up with fucking Jeff Lemire or whatever. <laughs> yeah, or, that'd be a um, fucking sight to behold. Uh, or Colin Bunn, fuck it. Yeah, or um, <laughs> Grant Morrison, dude, <laughs> dude, that would be fucking incredible. It's like, Grant, I'm not sure I understand what it is you want me to draw. Here, spoke this. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wakes up three days later having done just the, the entire book. He's like, what did I do this? Don't worry about it, dude. I already got it submitted. It's like, what day is it? Not even sure what month it is, bro. <sighs> what planet are we on? <laughs> it's probably Earth. Maybe Earth 3. Also, I hope 
Grant Morrison ever listened to this, I hope he appreciates my Scottish accent. Anyway, the book will be kicking off in June. It'll be an ongoing series, and it will be getting a preview in the um, in Marvel's offering for free comic book day. Okay. So, kind of a funny thing. Marvel's senior VP executive editor, Tom Brevoort, uh, said to Heat Vision, the uh, Hollywood Reporter blog, there are a lot of fans who will say, oh, they're doing a TV show, so of course there's going to be a comic. But at least in this case, there's a comic I can point, I can point you to. Read the last two pages of Brian's New Avengers. Certainly that, yeah, certainly that there is a big, new, exciting Netflix TV show coming. Is a good ex- certainly that they're I fucking I fucking failed on that whatever he says he says hey new Avengers sets it up good yeah go do that sure <laughs> I I haven't read New Avengers since the end of the golden age since the beginning of the golden age after Dark Reign so I don't care. I stopped reading all New Avengers books partway through the bit probably through the setup for Secret Wars. Yeah, so you read further than I did because I that why the the uh, two thousand three to like two thousand eight or two thousand nine run of, of of New Avengers was what got me in back into comics. So I I love for that, despite the fact that it still had to be tied into Civil War and shit like that. But after that, it felt like because they brought back because like the originally the New Avengers was okay, we killed off the Avengers. We have to do something else. Once they brought the main Avengers back, it, the book felt increasingly superfluous. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That's all happening. Uh, we, we got a fucking preview page of... I got a cover and a preview page. It's Dave Marquez art, so it's fucking gorgeous. Of course. Speaking of gorgeous artists... DC has announced that uh, they that um, coming in April there'll be a four part crossover that will get going on bringing Watchmen into the DC universe proper called the Button. Who wants that? Nobody except DC editorial. <laughs> it's kind of like movie. Uh, Bob Chipman did a video of. 10 movies from 2017 that are probably going to suck. One that's been heavily marketed and I agree with him who asked for this is Pirates 5. Nobody Same wanted nobody of, wanted Pirates 2. Yep. But that's another one of those things like we want to make money but we don't want this. Screw it. We want money. You'll fucking pay for it you little shits. Your kids will be like, oh, look, pirates, let's go watch that. And then you'll fucking get dragged to it like the fucking disposable piggy banks you are. Yeah, what's funny is that movie comes out my birthday weekend. And I'm like, hey, Marvel, what are you doing? And because nothing. every, yeah, every, no, every, every May there's a Marvel movie, so. All right, yeah. <laughs> what is Marvel doing this May? I think Guardians 2. Yeah, there are worse things you can go to. Yep. Anyway, so The Button uh, will be a four-part crossover on the 21st and 22nd issues of Batman and The Flash. 
The Batman issues will be written by Tom King with art by Jason Fabic. That fucking new ass talent that is goddamn spectacular. Uh, and then the Flash issues uh, will be written by Joshua Williamson, who is, I believe, the writer on. Uh, yeah, he's the writer on Nailbiter and uh, and Birthright. That'll be fucking sick. With art by Howard Porter, who worked on the Justice League 3000 books recently. So some actual talent behind this fucking thing. The DC official description for the book reads, The two greatest detectives in the DC universe unite to unravel the mystery behind a certain blood-stained smiley face button stuck in the Batcave wall. However, what begins as a simple investigation soon turns deadly when the secrets of the button prove irresistible to an unwelcome third party. And it's not who anyone expects. This is a mystery woven throughout time, and the countdown starts here. Ah, fuck, it's a countdown thing. <laughs> it's gonna be Bob, Has isn't countdown it? ever been a good thing in DC? No, no it hasn't. <laughs> and an unwelcome third party, not who anyone expects, I'm going to assume it's Bob the Monitor. Will he be asking them if he should do something? No, that's going to be the twist. The twist is the monitors decide to get their ass and do something. <sighs> Fuck. God damn it, DC. So anyway. DC is also saying that each issue of the button will be having a standard cover <laughs> for three bucks, as well as a four dollar um, version that has a lenticular cover. Not 100% sure what lenticular is. Is that like the thing where like you look at different angles and it makes different colors? Make different images? I would assume because I can't Yeah, okay, yeah, that's what it is. So yeah. Four bucks and you can get fucking fancy ass covers that shift depending on how you look at them. Because 90s. Y'all want that, youths? I remember start, that shit. <laughs> you're going to start collecting these fucking things, putting them in poly bags, then going to be selling them in like five years? Making fucking cents on the dollar? Uh, oh, it's so sad, Caveman, that... Dead Man, I, my first comic book I ever owned was from that worst period in the 90s, and I think it was a Lens Craft hollow cover Iron Man book. <laughs> Oh. <sighs> I feel angry, but I'm able to kind of express his sadness. Well, I mean, we've spent this entire book, to, this entire, um, show talking about stuff from the 90s that worked, but that's not the stuff people remember. It's the bad stuff that everyone seems to remember, both the people who don't want it and the people who want it back. And it's the dumbest fucking thing, too. Like, like These covers are the reason that the industry almost fucking imploded on itself, and almost why we didn't have comics now. Just as, as these fucking covers kept coming out, coming out, coming out, and then fucking everything collapsed on itself. Hmm. And now we're like, hey, you know what fucking really did well back in the 90s? All those covers. 
You'd also worked young bloods. We need fucking more works by Rob Liefeld in the fucking mainstream. Let's make a movie out of that. Fuck. Now I kind of want the apocalypse. I don't want the apocalypse until at least Saga is over. Fair enough. <laughs> I also wouldn't Brian mind. I, I also, yeah, Brian Cavon's usually pretty good about ending his books, even his large epic stories. So yeah, I also you know wouldn't mind like waiting until I got the rest of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol run. Yeah, maybe I could at some point finish Invincible. Yeah, maybe. I'd like to, like, own the rest of Inuyashiki. Like, I, or, or also, like, get the rest of that uh, current running Ultraman book, because I have, like, two volumes of that, and I want to keep reading it. Yeah, I've read all eight of them. Yeah, I, I've, been, I've been meaning to get it, but it has been... No. There have been other books coming out. No, I understand. Same here. I actually forgot to talk about it on the last anime show. Also, there's, you know, the rest of My Hero Academia and Haikyuu. Yeah. I look at it this way, Deadman. At least we don't have to look that hard for good things despite all of the bad. Very good point. I think we'll end it on that note, everybody. Thank you all for joining us. Yeah. We'll be back in two weeks' time with episode of the DeathStoreProds.com comic book podcast. In between now and then, though, going to be having our regular run of News Maybe Reviews podcasts. Ow! Kinds of bullshit, but... Until then, I'm dead. And I'm Birdie. And we'll see you guys next time. Enjoy the apocalypse. I know I will. <laughs>